Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krupnik, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. WGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this this is the next generation of talk now on talk radio 1210 WPHT Rich Zioli well, a SEPTA, an ex-SEPTA manager, admits taking bribes of concert tickets, Pope's visit hotel stays, and thousands in cash in exchange for SEPTA contracts. It's a breaking news story right here, locally in Philadelphia. And Congresswoman Cori Bush, under federal investigation, after she wanted to defund the police and pay her own husband bodyguard. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Uh, craziness on Capitol Hill today. They, it looks like they are going to do something. There, there seems to be something brewing here with a response to the drone attack, the Jordan drone attack. Not the Jim Jordan drone attack, but the drone attack that occurred in Jordan. There seems to be something. According to the story that's coming out right now, Biden has apparently made a decision on a response to the Jordan drone attack. And that could be coming at any moment now. But remember, the commander in chief himself is not going to actually address the country. He's not going to actually come out and say anything. He's not going to come out and, 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 and give us any updates himself. He's going to have his spokespeople do all these things. He's going to have his spokespeople do these things because the reality is Joe Biden can't speak. And if Joe Biden did speak, he would botch everything and he would wind up making a bigger fool of himself than he already is. So don't expect the president of the United States of America to actually come out and give us any stern warnings to Iran or anything. But that is the breaking news that this decision has been made uh, with regards to the response to what the drone attack was by these Iranian backed proxies. Although Iran keeps continuing to deny that it had anything to do with it. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me like if Iran is really behind this and you've got all these people screaming that we are at war with Iran, probably something is going to happen because both sides certainly seem to want it to occur. But the big story of the day brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. He is my dentist. He is my friend. Just go to VenariaDental.com. Is Representative Cori Bush. She is one of the squad champions. I mean, she really is. One of the squad greatest hits. The lunatic lefty squad. She's now under investigation by Biden's Department of Justice for hiring her husband as a bodyguard, among other people that she hired. And if you remember, Cori Bush was the one who came out years ago and said, listen, yeah, we got to defund the police. And yeah, you know what? Um, You don't get to protect yourself. I get to protect myself and I need bodyguards. You don't, peasants, because you're you're not important enough. You're just a little peon. Me, I'm a powerful member of Congress. So I need bodyguards, all right? I need it. Now, here's a little flashback uh, for you of Representative Cori Bush 
As she talks about defunding the police, she spoke with CBS News from the Capitol. This is August of 2021, justifying having her own private security force. And this is the same woman, by the way, wants to disarm Americans and defund the police at the same time. All right, so just a little flashback down memory lane, cut number 20. Sure, I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety. Suck it up, buttercup. I deserve protection. You don't. My life is more important than yours. I'm a congresswoman. You're just nothing. You're just a peon. Now, the best part of this story, though, is that she has a number of bodyguards. The House of Representatives announced Monday that the sergeant of arms has been subpoenaed and was cooperating with the Justice Department. Punchbowl News scooped that the Justice Department was seeking spending records as part of a probe of a House Democrat. The spending records they were seeking were in relation to the alleged misspending of security money. No, it's not the bodyguard Congresswoman Bush recently married, which is a real thing that happened. The queen of defund the police is personally protected by a phalanx of armed security guard, one of whom she fell in love with. The other bodyguard is a man who is rather special, it seems. So townhall.com. And their friends at the Washington Free Beacon dug up claims from one of Bush's security guards that he can summon tornadoes at will, cause earthquakes with his hate, and conduct blood rituals to bring ruin upon his enemies, and is an intergalactic master of psychic self-defense, and was born 109 trillion years ago. By the way, what do you get somebody for their 109th trillionth birthday? Is it paper? Is it leather, wood? I'm not- I'll just go with bourbon. I'll go with the bottle of bourbon that Michael Pelka owes me, as a matter of fact. If you're listening, Stump Brain, give me my bourbon. But I would think that'd be an appropriate $109 trillion birthday gift. Based on public records and online accounts, the Free Beacon reported that this character, this dude, has earned $137,000 providing security services for Cori Bush with your taxpayer dollars. This is from the spring of 2020 through 2023. In addition, the Free Beacon confirmed that Davis is, in fact, a St. Louis, Missouri spiritual guru known as Aha Sen Pianki, who teaches classes on how to read minds, summon mythical beings, and maintain urban gardens to avoid having to buy food from the Jews. It's hard to imagine that a 109-trillion-year-old could be adept at personal security, but maybe being able to read minds helps. Is there surely more to come as the DOJ's investigation plays out and more details are made public? The other problem with a 109 trillion year old is that if you need to go down, I mean, if somebody's coming at me, I need my bodyguard to fight. If my bodyguard's 109 trillion years old, I don't know how physically capable he's going to be in that moment. And there's a reason why Kevin Costner's character in The Bodyguard was not 109 trillion years old. Because when he had to pick up Whitney Houston and carry her over his shoulders to get her out of there. You imagine 109-year-old trillion bones that break, they just crack right there. So I don't think this is a very smart choice for security services. No, obviously, this guy has other skills. I mean, summoning tornadoes at will could be very helpful, particularly if there's traffic causing earthquakes with hate. Why not? And uh, conducting blood rituals to bring ruin upon his enemies. I'd hire him tomorrow just for that alone. 
I have several enemies, many enemies, many, many enemies. And I would use this guy to bring his blood rituals to bring ruin upon them in a heartbeat. Maybe bring an earthquake on him too. Maybe a tornado as well. But with age comes wisdom and at 109 trillion years old, maybe he would know better at his age than to be on the dole of a congresswoman when this is all really just a gigantic scam. Because let's face it, that's what we're talking about here. A scam to make sure that she uses taxpayer dollars to enrich her friends and herself because her husband is one of her bodyguards. But you don't get a bodyguard. You don't get police. You don't get guns. Your life, peasant, is not worth it. You're not that important. Remember that. Who are you anyway? You're not a member of Congress. You're not brave. And the other thing about stealing the this taxpayer dollars to enrich her husband is that she shares her husband's money, which means that she's using taxpayer dollars to also enrich herself. The Department of Justice had no comment, of course, but in a message they relayed the grand jury subpoena is in fact real. She notably has spent more than $500,000 on her own private security. $500,000. A lot of money. Her husband and former security guard, Courtney Merritts, whom she married in February of 2023, has pocketed more than $100,000 in payments since Cori Bush added him to her campaign's payroll in January of 2022 for what they marked as security payments before switching their description to wage expenses. In March, she was hit with two FEC complaints over security payments she made to her new husband. One comes from the Committee to Defeat the President, an anti-Biden super PAC, which alleges that Cori Bush has flouted federal campaign finance laws by paying the one guy $60,000 for security in 2022. He does not have a license to perform security functions in the Congresswoman's district. He also paid $225,000 to the St. Louis-based peace security firm for personal protection throughout 2022. The Watchdog Group Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust also filed a complaint asking the Federal Election Commission to investigate whether Cori Bush used campaign funds for personal uses, citing the $60,000 payment in 2022 for security services provided to merits. It appears Congresswoman Bush's campaign may have made payments for services that were unnecessary or above fair market value because of her personal relationship with the payee. Fact, Executive Director Kendra Arnold said, if so, these payments would qualify as either impermissible payments to a family member or an impermissible gift. Therefore, we request the FEC investigate whether Representative Bush converted campaign funds for personal use. By paying a salary that was not for bona fide services at fair market value. Ultimately, if one or more campaign laws are found to have been broken, We request the FEC hold the respondents accountable. Now, I'm sorry, but this is where you lose me. Because I don't know the market value, again, of a guy who is 109 trillion years old, who can summon tornadoes at will, cause earthquakes with his hate, and conduct blood rituals to bring ruin upon his enemies. No no market value for that exists. Because no one's like that man. No one can summon that kind of power. So if you're coming at me, I may have my guy cause an earthquake right under your feet. See, put a price on that in the free market. So anyway, we'll see how this goes. And I don't know if Cori Bush will um, actually face any penalties for this, but it does remind me of um, 
the district attorney in Georgia, Fawny Willis, does it not? Fawny Willis, the district attorney in Georgia, who also used taxpayer dollars to enrich her boyfriend, lavish trips, cruises, all kinds of things. And now in Georgia, they're actually going to do something about it. Governor Brian Kemp and the legislature in Georgia passed a bill Monday to revive a commission with powers to discipline and remove prosecutors. A move Democrats warn is aimed at disrupting Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis's prosecution of former President Trump. Because, again, of the massive, massive conflict of interest of what happened here as she was paying her boyfriend, who, again, as patterns go, had no reason to be hired to do the job. Period. Nathan Wade should not have been appointed special prosecutor. This is a guy, I mean, he can't summon earthquakes or blood rituals and all the other things, but he did handle traffic tickets in municipal court. That was it. That was the extent of it. And he's made close to $750,000 as a special prosecutor in the case. And the district attorney, Phony Willis, has gone on lots of wonderful trips with him. Lavish cruises, beautiful hotel stays in Napa, wine country, you know. And now they're going to discipline her in Georgia. They should remove her. She should be impeached and removed from office. It's a disgrace. There's no question about it. They're going to do this because they have to do this, because the conflict of interest is so blatant. And, you know, it's not like Brian Kemp is any fan of Donald Trump. He's not in any way, shape or form. And Democrats are actually very upset with Fawny Willis for doing this because Fawny Willis has completely blown the one chance they had to stop Donald Trump. They were going to have him convicted in Georgia, have him sentenced to Georgia state prison where there's no ability for the president to pardon himself. And they were going to see him rot behind bars in state prison and not become president again. That was their big fantasy and their big dream. Of course, we created our movie escape from Georgia penal edition which is all about how the Navy SEALs go in to rescue Donald Trump. And it's kind of a standoff like you saw in the movie The Rock, Escape from Alcatraz, whatever, but they get him out. And this other penal edition that happened here in Georgia, which is now going to result in her losing the case, they take it off her hands because of the conflict of interest, and then it goes to this board in, in Georgia, which will then select a new prosecutor. And that new prosecutor could be Someone who looks at the evidence and says, there is none, and dismisses all the charges. Or perhaps the commission will drag its feet through at least the presidential election, which would make a lot of sense. Either way, the case against Donald Trump in Georgia is over. It's over. They know it's over, and they're very upset. I even heard the, the other day the ladies on The View were trashing Fawny Willis for not being able to keep it in her pants. I mean, really, because this is what it came down to. <coughs> Excuse me, classic. Classic sex. That's really what it is. She and her boyfriend getting money and then enjoying the taxpayer's dime to take all these lavish trips and cruises and everything else. And, you know, the thing about it, too, is that when people see this kind of stuff happen and then they see these these same politicians come out and lecture about how there needs to be justice and accountability for politicians. All you're saying at that point is (laughs) you got to hold me accountable, too. Now, obviously, she does not intend to be held accountable, but they are going to do so in Georgia. No question about it. 855-839-1210 is the number. What is going to happen with Iran? That is the question. What's the latest on that? Uh, Joe Biden back in 2020, 
gave us a very grim warning on what would happen if Donald Trump was elected president. He was very worried about what would happen. And now as we're all watching and waiting to see what's going to happen, whether or not there will be retaliatory strikes, whether or not we're going to go and bomb Iran or bomb their oil fields or do anything else, we're all wondering if this guy as commander-in-chief is really up for the job. So here's Joe Biden speaking with Vice News back in 2020, warning us about what a Trump presidency would mean, cut number five. The world has changed because what Trump has done. And the American people, including independents and some Republicans, know how bad he is, know how much he's misrepresented, know how he's getting close to getting us in a war. I said, as the walls close in on this man, I'm worried he's going to get us to war in Iran. Unfortunately, I may have been right. The fact of the matter is there's a lot at stake in this election. There's a lot at stake. Well, unfortunately, for the guy who's now commander in chief has no clue what's going on. By the way, do you notice how different Biden sounds? From just four years ago, just four years ago to how he sounds now. I mean, it's been a bad progression for Biden. It's sad. It's really sad. I mean, you 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 think about it from the perspective of somebody close to you as you watch them slide. And you just think to yourself, man, I mean, I know I know four years ages presidents. I know that the four years of the job of stress and everything hasn't even been four years, but I know that it's a lot. It's three years, actually, today, or very close to being today. It's close to three-year anniversary of, of when he became president, 21st. And it's a lot. It tears at you, wears you down. But in terms of just how Biden sounds, compare that to how he speaks today. You know what I mean? Compare that to how Joe Biden sounds, and you can see the progression. You can see the mental decline in this man. There's no doubt about it. I mean, here's a great example. Here's Biden on the uh, White House lawn saying he's going to hold Iran responsible. Cut number one. I do hold Iran responsible, and we're going to we're going to talk about it. And he walks away. It's not the same, Joe Biden. You know, I mean, the guy from four years ago in that clip would be on TV right now because Joe Biden loved mugging it up for the cameras. Oh, he loved it. He never missed an opportunity to grandstand. He would be out there at the White House podium. He'd be out there sitting at the Oval Office at the Resolute Desk telling America what he's going to do about Iran. He'd be answering questions. He'd be doing all those things. This guy can't. And that's the bottom line. Because we're all wondering what's going to happen with this situation in the Middle East. The one thing we do know is that this guy cannot do the job. We know this. We also know, too, that it's John Kirby is now the guy who answers every question. He answers everything. We don't even hear from the president on these matters. I mean, here's a reporter asking John Kirby, why wait? What, what are you waiting for? What, what's, what's the holdup here? He was on Air Force One, cut three. Why wait? For, it's about 48 hours-ish now uh, since uh, the attack happened. Are you essentially giving these groups the opportunity to move personnel move their weaponry out of the way and and what message does it send by waiting two days to to strike back back at at this point as uh, as we said Amr, and as the president has said uh, we'll uh we're going to respond and we're going to do it really uh, in a way in a time of our own choosing um and uh you know that's no different that's not a different approach than we've taken in the past now as the president has said, the president hasn't said anything. That's the that's the issue. And you know Democrats are bummed. 
Right? I mean, the guy's got a 65% disapproval rating. He could be a wartime president, but you would need the president to actually speak and communicate. And he can't do that. And Democrats are so bummed about that right now. They'd love to be able to take advantage of this moment. They'd love to be able to be able to turn this around. But they can't. I mean, they're scaring everybody enough. They certainly are. I mean, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, I'll play the clip when we get back, but he said, we've not seen a situation this dangerous since at least 1973. And yet, this is the Commander-in-Chief, a guy who really can't even utter a sentence. Listen, Thursday night, we all could use a laugh. We're going to be at Parks Casino for another great comedy club, comedy night. You'll enjoy great comedy with Tyler Mason and Tracy Locke. Tickets are just 20 bucks and include your first drink. Doors open at 7 p.m. Just go to parkscasino.com slash comedy. Parkscasino.com slash comedy. You must be 21. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I want to see you there. I'll be the MC along with Mike Baldini. We'll have a great time together this coming Thursday. But you got to get your tickets because the show always sells out. Thursday, February 1st, this Thursday, Parks Casino. Parkscasino.com slash comedy. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. The breaking news regarding, I don't know this, if you'd say this is a local story, but it certainly has major, major national implications, that's for sure. Philadelphia, a jury just awarded a guy $2.25 billion. Man claimed that he got cancer from using Roundup, Roundup weed killer. Uh, it's owned by the uh, Bear is the parent company. They're vowing to appeal the verdict. But a Philadelphia jury has delivered a $2.25 billion verdict against agricultural giant Monsanto, deciding in favor of a Pennsylvania man who contended he developed cancer as a result of using the company's weed killer, Roundup. The unanimous verdict issued Friday awarded John McKivson, 49, of Lycoming County, PA, $250 million in cons- com- uh, compensatory damages, excuse me, $2 billion in punitive damages. The jury found that Roundup causes cancer and that Monsanto was negligent and failed to warn consumers of the dangers of the product. They were represented by Klein and Specter in Philadelphia. They're the guys you see behind home plate whenever the Phillies are in the playoffs or the World Series. And you see their commercials all the time as well. We are thankful that this unanimous jury found that Bear Monsanto's Roundup was responsible for causing Mr. McKivson's blood cancer. The jury's punitive damages award sends a clear message that this multinational corporation needs top to bottom change. McKivson's attorney said that he began using Roundup at his job at a warehouse when he was in his 20s. As the product killed weeds effectively at his work. McKivenson began spraying it regularly at his family's home over the next two decades. His personal property were as large as two acres, and he used the weed killer on food plots he and his family planted to attract wildlife. At one point, his attorney said, he dispersed Roundup on his property from a tractor in 25 to 30 gallon loads. The difference in his life truly is what he was exposed to Roundup. At issue in the case was the chemical known as glyphosate, Roundup's active ingredient, as well as other ingredients in the weed killer. Monsanto developed glyphosate in 1974 and has since become one of the most widely used herbicides worldwide, despite concerns that the chemical is carcinogenic. The lawsuit also names 
Norian, a Radner-based chemical company that manufactures another ingredient in Roundup known as a surficant that helps the herbicide effectively kill weeds. World agencies have differed on glyphosate's carcinogenic properties. In 2015, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, part of the World Health Organization, classified glyphosate as part of a group of chemicals that are probably carcinogenic to humans. But in 2020, the United States Environmental Protection Agency found that there was no risks of concern to human health when glyphosate is used according to label instructions. It says it is unlikely to be a human carcinogen. After legal challenges, the EPA stood by its 2020 findings, but said that it would revisit and better explain its evaluation of the carcinogenic potential of glyphosate. Other groups, such as the European Commission, have since said there is no evidence allowing them to conclude glyphosate is carcinogenic. German pharmaceutical giant Bayer, which became Monsanto's parent company after it purchased the group in 2018, said it would appeal the Philadelphia jury's verdict. Quote, we disagree with the jury's adverse verdict that conflicts with the overwhelming weight of scientific evidence and worldwide regulatory and scientific assessments and believe that we have strong arguments on appeal to get this verdict overturned and the unconstitutionally excessive damage award eliminated or reduced. They went on to say the following here. They said, um, um, previous damage awards have been reduced more than 90% overall in final judgments. We have a winning record in the roundup litigation, having won 10 of the last 16 cases at trial and have resolved the majority of claims filed in this litigation. The company remains committed to taking cases to trial as our track record demonstrates that we win when plaintiffs' attorneys and their experts are not allowed to misrepresent the worldwide regulatory and scientific assessments that continue to support the product's safety. The verdict is also at odds with a recent decision by the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana, granting the company's motion for summary judgment in Whalen, a similar roundup case, because plaintiffs lacked reliable evidence required to prove their case. The McVision trial, and this is my this is my favorite part of this. The McVision trial occurred in the number one judicial hellhole for 2023 to 2024, the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas. Judicial hellholes is actually a thing at judicialhellholes.org. And this site, which is um <laughs> which is part of Americans for Tax Reform and other places, they they consider that. The Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas to be the number one site of judicial hellholes in, and they, they call it litigation tourism, basically. Litigation tourism, where people will shop these things around and around and then ultimately try to get them before this court. They, they say the following here. Plaintiff's counsel was permitted to conduct unrestrained cross-examination of company witnesses, including asking our experts preju- prejudicial lines of questioning and documents they'd never seen before, as well as questions on matters wholly irrelevant to the central issue in this case, whether Roundup is carcinogenic. During trial, defendants moved for a mistrial after the court improperly sustained plaintiff's objections to the testimony of a company scientist and struck a large portion of the defendant's direct examination on topics directly relevant to the central issue in the case, whether Roundup is carcinogenic. While we have great sympathy for the plaintiff in the case, we are confident that our products can be used safely and are not carcinogenic, consistent with the assessments of expert regulators worldwide. They go on that it 
the EU approved glyphosate for 10 more years, and they go through all the various different other things. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit found California's Prop 65 warning for glyphosate to be unconstitutional, stating in their opinion that uh, this stands alone in its determination that glyphosate is probably carcinogenic to humans with the EPA and regulators from around the world, and they conclude that it is not. Now, the thing about it, which is interesting, is obviously this guy used a lot of it, and probably more so than people that just kind of spray it on, you know, their flowers or whatever, or their weeds in their yard. This guy used a ton of it. But this is a big jury award here. I mean, $2.25 billion makes the E. Jean Carroll decision seem... <laughs> So this is going to be appealed, no question about it. Uh, I I mean, I I know people that won't eat foods from California because they may have glyphosate in the foods. They won't eat, you know, crackers and things like that or drink California wine. I think that's ridiculous. I I personally think that it seems like, if anything, the amount of use, the amount of something probably matters a lot here. But we'll see where this goes. But it's a local story in the sense that it happened here in Philadelphia. It was a Philadelphia law firm that represented the case. And obviously this decision is going to make, it's already making international news. $2.25 billion verdict against Monsanto and its parent company, Bayer Pharmaceuticals. Uh, All right. Now let's see what else we got going on here. We also have uh, another local story that just kind of broke before we got on the air today. This one regarding SEPTA. So this ex-SEPTA manager admitted to taking bribes. I got, you really got to love the corruption of government, don't you? James Stevens, SEPTA's former director of video surveillance. This guy. I mean, that, first of all, why is that even a job is what I want to know. Why is that even a, a real job, a real thing that people have to pay for, the director of video surveillance? But it seems like that could probably be merged with something else. But nevertheless, I digress. So this guy, like a lot of smart people in government, figured out how he can make himself rich. Er. So a former scepter manager admitted Tuesday he he, uh, extorted bribes of cash, Barbara Streisand tickets and pricey hotel stays in exchange for steering contracts worth millions to a company overseeing maintenance for the transit agency's surveillance cameras. James Stevens, SEPTA's ex-director of video evidence, pleaded guilty to federal charges, including conspiracy, bribery, extortion and honest services fraud the most serious of which could send him to prison for up to 20 years. Despite a hearing in federal court, he told the judge that between 2014 and 2019, he routinely demanded payoffs from an executive at Spectre Logistics. This is a Delaware-based firm that held SEPTA's $4.6 million camera maintenance contract and reminded the firm he had the authority to cancel the contract at any time. The bribes included monthly cash payments amounting to more than $85,000 over four years, center city hotel stays for him during the Pope's visit to Philadelphia in 2015, tickets to a 2016 concert by Barbara Streisand at the Wells Fargo Center. Additionally, Stevens of Somerdale, Camden County, New Jersey, required Spectre's then-COO Robert Welsh to foot the bill for holiday parties for his department at SEPTA. And supposed donations to a charity golf tournament that prosecutors say Stevens pocketed himself. I wonder if he actually called it the human fund. That's the only question I have with that. Not content with the gifts alone. He also demanded that the COO of the camera firm 
provide him a job once he retired from SEPTA. In exchange, Stevens made sure Spectre's contract was renewed year after year and sent additional work worth millions to the company and other businesses that the same guy owned. Prosecutors said the two took pains to hide the corrupt nature of their deal, often communicating on a cell phone. Stevens purchased for Welsh specifically to discuss their bribery arrangement or a separate email account. He set up on Spectre's servers specifically for Welsh's extortion requests. For his own part, Stevens said little Tuesday as he stood before U.S. District Judge Gerald Pepper to enter his guilty plea. He pled guilty to his role in the bribery scheme last year and awaits sentencing. This is the guy from the uh, from the company. Their crimes are only the latest corruption scandal to plague the Philadelphia region's public transportation system, which has been a series of federal bribery cases lodged against managers and employees in recent years. Three former SEPTA managers were sentenced to prison terms ranging from two to five years and another four received probation for bilking SEPTA out of hundreds of thousands of dollars by colluding with vendors to charge for goods they were never provided. They all admitted to extorting bribes, including hunting supplies, ATV equipment, rare gold coins, and even a whippet puppy. What the hell's a whippet puppy? Do you guys know what a whippet puppy is? Whippet? You know, I, never I know heard of that. A whippet. I know what a whippet is, but a whippet. whippet is when you take a can of whipped cream, right? And you turn it upside down and you inhale it. Yeah. What's a whip whippet puppy? You know what? You don't know what that is. Never heard of that. Is it one of those tiny canisters? I don't know. I've only ever known it as right, Google it for me. It's W-H-I-P-P-E-T. Whippet puppy. That's a is dog. It an actual dog? Yeah. I don't know. That's a I know up. a whippet is a dog too with E-T. Oh, is it? It's a real dog. Yeah, yeah. it's like a greyhound. I think it does look like a greyhound. It, uh, is a it, small I'm assuming greyhound. it's an expensive dog. If you're going to get a dog as a as a bribe, it better be a freaking. You know, it better not be some dog you can get at the shelter. You know what I mean? I've never seen one before, so I would assume they're pretty. Yeah, uh, twenty five hundred dollars. That's it. That's a pretty expensive dog. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> How much are you spending well, on your, your dogs? No, I heard that French bulldogs are going for like twenty five grand. Well, apparently these go for thirty five hundred if you get it from a reputable breeder. But if it's a less reputable breeder, they're about twenty five hundred. Either way, that's a lot of money for an animal. I don't disagree uh, with your point on that point, but I'm just wondering if you're good. This is what I understand about people who take bribes. If you're going to take bribes, go all in. Like, don't get a freaking whippet puppy. <laughs> Get a, a whole family of whippet dogs. You know what I mean? The problem with these people is they don't they don't go far enough. Like this guy, this guy got Barbara Streisand tickets. That's it. Did he even get? Did he at least get the box at the Wells Fargo Center? Barbara Streisand, really? You're gonna go to prison because you took Barbara Streisand. You see what I mean? If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna take bribes, go all in. All right. It was at the concert where Barbara sang about her pond cakes that she's eating all the pond cakes because Donald Trump stresses her out. Her tickets aren't even that expensive. I mean, they're not cheap. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like if you get like a generic seat, it looks like you're looking about two hundred bucks. Yeah, I'd rather be in the pit for like Taylor Swift at the link. I'd rather have the Whippet dog. It was pretty cute, and thirty five hundred bucks is a decent deal. There you go. (laughs) I mean, if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna accept a bribe, it's gonna be a big freaking bribe. You know what I mean? I'm I'm going all in. I'm not taking li- little freaking dogs and 
hunting supplies. I'm I'm going all in. If you either you, this, this is the problem. You got to go all in. I think these people think that if they take little payoffs, they'll get away with it. But the problem is, like for example, he wanted hotel stays for Pope Francis's visit. Do you remember when the Pope came to Philadelphia in 2015? You were mm-hmm. still here, DeSantis, right? I was actually at WPHT when he was here. Yeah, I, I had to stay the entire weekend. I got a week off of school for that. You, you did? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so the, um, the problem was that there was nobody here. When I remember in Philadelphia walking around, and it was tumbleweed and tanks. Everybody left the city. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. It was, because it was they weird. scared us. They told us. I, the, Michael Nutter and everybody else at the time said, you don't want to be in Philadelphia for the Pope's visit. Stay away. We used to joke that the Pope got up there at the big stage and looked around and said, where's all the, the people, eh? Where's everybody, eh? I, every, every Pope sounds like <laughs> Father Guido Sarducci in my mind. They're, they're all Italian. So, hey, uh, where's everybody, eh? So, like, you got hotel tickets for that. The hotels were vacant during the Pope's visit. This is low energy bribery. You know what I mean? Low energy. <laughs> Yeah, the city was oddly uh, empty because weren't I remember restaurants were thinking, oh, we're really going to cash in on this Pope visit. And then didn't they end up wasting a lot of food? They kind of overstocked and didn't end up selling it all. Oh, there was uh, there was that. There was also the hot pockets they left for us at WPHT to eat. Do you remember those? <laughs> I remember eating them. Yeah, they they said for us, they said, you're going to have a lot of food here for the Pope thing because you guys are going to be working really hard. And I was at afternoons back then. And I opened up the freezer and they were, you talk about glyphosate, I mean, Hot Pockets, I'd rather drink a whole thing of Roundup <laughs> in the end. But the, they had the, the meatball Parmesan Hot Pockets. Remember that? Uh, hot Pockets. It was basically a, a fridge and a freezer filled with gas station food. Yeah. And that's what they left for us. Like, we're going to feed you guys while you're here. So pop in a bacon, egg, and cheese hot pocket for one morning while you're here for breakfast. (laughs) Now, I have two questions that I'll ask throughout the course of the afternoon. Number one is, why are so many robots white? The actual headline, why are so many robots white? And since we're talking about all these lawsuits, I want to know this. The guy who got, claims he got cancer from using Roundup, was awarded $2.25 billion dollars. And what is probably one of the largest jury awards probably in American history. $2.25 billion. What does this guy get? What does this guy in Florida get? Where's his justice? A Fort Myers, Florida man has filed a lawsuit against the parent company of Combo Snacks, arguing that they are deceptively marketed because they don't contain enough real cheese. In the filing... (laughs) You laugh at this man's <laughs> suffering. I thought this was a serious story the way you said it. I out. don't know why you're laughing, this poor man. Sorry. This Edward Pistorio <laughs> pointing to the fact that the cheddar cheese flavored version of the snacks is marketed with a picture of a large block of cheese and the labels filling made with real cheese and natural flavors. However, he also cited the ingredients list, which said the snacks are less than 2% cheese blend. According to the label included in court documents, the main ingredients of the snack are wheat flour, palm oil, dairy product solids, carbohydrates, and cornstarch. Quote, more than half of the public consider cheese healthy and nutritious because it's high in protein and nutrients with key vitamins and minerals like calcium, said his attorney. By replacing real cheese with palm oil and dairy product solids, the filling lacks the quality, nutritional, 
and savory attributes that consumers expect from a label indicating a filling made with real cheese. Can I ask an honest question here? (laughs) Is there anyone who's ever eaten combos and thought to themselves, I'm eating a healthy snack here? (laughs) Ever? In the history of the world? (laughs) It's like saying that when you take the, when you, those mac and cheese shells, the Velveeta cheese bag, yeah. And you open it up and you squeeze that gigantic orange blob. You know what I'm talking about? The neon yellow, yeah. That neon yellow blob that falls on top of the shells and then you mix it all around and it's delicious. But let's not kid ourselves here. I'm not thinking I'm giving my kids a healthy dinner when I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm giving my kids that because my wife's out of town. <laughs> Yeah, by this guy's logic, cheeseburgers are healthy, too. You got a meat in there. That's a protein. No, by this guy's logic, those cans of, you know, the cheese, the cans of Cheese Whiz? Cheese Whiz, yeah. Just, that's healthy. Right there, just take one. (laughs) And you're good. Well, I support this man's lawsuit, and I hope he wins. If the the Roundup guy got $2.25 billion, this guy deserves at least $2 billion. Can we all agree on that? I mean, juries have been throwing around large sums of cash recently. This guy could walk away with 100 mil. There you go. And speaking of juries doing that, the E. Jean Carroll jury, they were yucking it up on Rachel Maddow's show last night. Yucking it up as E. Jean Carroll talks about all the ways she's going to spend the money. Even making the host of the show, Rachel Maddow, very uncomfortable. We'll share that with you as well. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Listen, Dr. Mike Venaria, great friend of the show, the master of dental implants. Dr. Mike truly is the master of implant dentistry. And he is the master of making you look and feel your greatest with a million-dollar smile. I recommend you book an appointment with Dr. Mike today. I've been telling you about Dr. Mike for years. My entire family goes to Dr. Venaria because the level of care and commitment to dental excellence that Dr. Mike and his staff delivers to every patient is unmatched. He's been delivering results that surpass expectations that has made him a top dentist in New Jersey for 10 consecutive years. He has one of the most respected reputations among his peers as a master of dental implants. So if you've been on the fence about getting that dental procedure done, reach out to Dr. Mike today. You have a choice, a clear choice for you and your family. So give Dr. Venaria a call. I promise you won't be disappointed. With two locations to serve you in Cinnamonson and Woodbury, schedule your free implant consultation today for your perfect smile. Call 856-786-2020. 856-786-2020 or visit venariadental.com v-a-n-a-r-i-a venariadental.com thanks for listening to the seoli show podcast from talk radio 1210 wphd and the odyssey app why are you coming back with rocky out of curiosity i'm not philly is this the only philadelphia song you know there's a couple i wanted to go with this one i don't know (laughs) all right I like it. I mean, it's good. Why? Well, what would you it's have preferred? It's kind of cliche. What would right? you have preferred? Uh, Philadelphia Feeling by Elton John. Okay. I thought about it. I thought about that. I thought about Eye of the Tiger, but that's for John Yeo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's his walk-up song. thought about song. Motown Philly. Motown I, Philly would have yeah. been great. Yeah. I thought about Springsteen. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very depressing song. No. Yeah, the streets of Philadelphia. No. no. I thought about it, though. As long as you thought about it, that's what counts. You thought about it. That's key. No, Rocky's fine to come back to you, but since I'm thinking about um, bribes and bribery now, keep thinking about what I would take 
I, you know what I want? I want the Rocky statue. I'd be like, you want, hey, you want to keep this septic contract? <laughs> Not for nothing. I want the Rocky statue in my basement. Oh, you want a replica of it? No, no, no. I want the Rocky statue in my basement. Did I stutter? Did I stutter? I want the Rocky statue in my basement. And I want Sly Stallone at my house. And you get to keep this <laughs> septic contract. All right? Otherwise, I don't know. I'm going to have to shop around for a new vendor, not for nothing. And keep your freaking dog. Nobody wants your dumb dog. <laughs> I want a kennel of dogs. I want a bunch of Siberian Russian dogs. That's what I want. All right? All right, I got a big 4 o'clock hour coming up for you. I got the latest on Iran, the latest on the border. There's much to talk about locally and nationally. Dr. EJ Antoni will be here on The Economy. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. You're a parent. Do you support a ban on social media for your kids under 16? They may pass it in Florida. Representative Cori Bush is under investigation for enriching herself and her husband. And uh, will Alejandro Mayorkas be impeached? These are just some of the things we will tackle throughout the afternoon today. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thank you for being here. Don't forget Thursday night, Parks Casino Comedy Night this coming Thursday. And our speaker event with Terry Hayes, which has been moved now to a new location. It'll be Main Point Books in Wayne, PA. That is coming up on February 7th, the year of the locust. Unbelievable book. Mind-blowing, actually. And get your tickets for that at 1210WPHT.com. The economy is always a big story, obviously. And whenever the economy is a story, we turn to one man and one man alone. The official economist of The Zioli Show, and that is Dr. E.J. Antoni of the Heritage Foundation. Hello, my friend. How are you? Rich, I'm hanging in. How are you doing? We're doing great. I'm craving some combos, but other than that, I'm doing all right. Hanging in there, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I made a comment today. I was filling in for Dana Lash on her national show from 12 to 3 today, and I made a comment about Biden, you know, who's going on about how uh, no family should have to sit outside of McDonald's in the parking lot for their kid to do their homework. And I said, are we going to talk about the price of McDonald's food over the last four years, the increase in the last three years of how much more they're paying for the food at that McDonald's as they sit in the parking lot using the free Wi-Fi, or are we just going to pretend like that's not a thing? Yeah, or, or how about the fact that, you know, forget people not being able to pay for utilities, things like, like Internet. How about the fact that they can't even afford a place to live, period? I mean, we've literally never seen rents this high. We've never seen the cost of home ownership this high. We have never seen home ownership affordability this low, at least not in the last 50 years where we've been keeping track. I mean, my goodness, Mr. President, could you be any more tone deaf? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Could you be any any more tone deaf, uh, EJ and Tony? Because, look, I mean, this is the this is the thing, right? The inflation issue that we're talking about. And what I want to know is what games is the Fed going to play this year? Because now we're in an election year. 
And everybody's wondering what little what little tricks the Fed has up their sleeve here to try to save Biden's presidency, because I, I keep hearing about all these wonderful economic stories out there. I don't personally know anybody who's really seeing any of this. But do you have any thoughts on on what games we could see the Fed play? Oh, absolutely. And and you're totally right that as much as we keep hearing all these stories about, oh, there's this great economic news and that great economic news, and then people ask themselves, well, how come I don't feel that great? How come this has, isn't happening to me? And it's frankly not happening to any of my friends or any of the other people that I know. It's because it's not real. We just got data this morning, for example, from it's basically a, a quarterly census that's done by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And what it tells us is that in the second quarter of last year, the job growth was only half, half of what they previously estimated. So you're absolutely right. Things are not as good as we're being told. You know, you, you don't need any kind of official statistics to know that things aren't that great for you and your family right now. As, as far as the Fed goes, what can we expect to see there? I mean, my goodness, they are going to look for any and every excuse they possibly can to cut rates to inject more liquidity into this market because it's the only way to, to save Biden economically, quite frankly. And that's the only way Powell can hope to be renominated because Trump already said he won't, he won't let him in for a third term. He's going to pick someone else to be fed chair. That's, you know, I mean, as I, as I hear you say that, I start thinking to myself, all right, great. So, so they get to play these little games with the economy. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who who are hurting. In fact, there's a, a whole thing. You probably saw this in the other day in the Wall Street Journal. Why people owe the IRS money in three charts. We haven't even really talked a lot about taxation. It hasn't come up a, a, a ton as an issue. But a lot of people are looking to get a refund, but they're finding out that they have a balance due instead. They're finding out that they owe. And as you know, we're getting ready to file our taxes. We start getting all the forms in the mail, mail right now. The IRS is restarting their collection efforts and they are ramping all this stuff up. Biden, let's not forget, Biden decided to weaponize the IRS as well. So taxpayers are going to feel that as well. They say nearly 6.3 million taxpayers owe between $1,000 and $5,000, yet some owe in the hundreds of thousands or more than a million dollars. And what, what I want to know is how much of the Inflation Reduction Act, it's so cute, right? What a, what a name. Uh, is going to be used by the IRS to go after not I'm not talking about high wealth people that, you know, the billionaires that Bernie Sanders always screams about. I mean, the people, the everyday people that are just making a living by selling things in the e, e, uh, e-commerce, you know, and the, the, the new market there, the gig economy, as they call it. How much of the IRS is going to be weaponized to go after them, E.J. Antoni? You're talking literally tens of thousands of IRS agents that have been hired to go after the middle class. And and one of the easiest ways to show that, that these are not all going after the billionaires and the millionaires, is that IRS internal documents have already shown that just a couple hundred auditors would be more than enough to audit all of the millionaires and billionaires in this country who aren't already being audited. So all of those agents that they hired are going after the middle class. And it's very easy to do that because the tax code is so insanely complex. Uh, A couple of years ago, Forbes magazine, for instance, uh, they hired a a couple dozen different tax professionals. And what did they find? Well, for every single different tax professional who audited the same family's tax returns, they came up with a different tax return. In other words, no one could figure out exactly how much money this family owed or how much money the family was owed by the IRS because the code is that complicated. 
Uh, you 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 t- uh, tweeted out something earlier today, <clears throat> putting the BS in BLS. Uh, what did you mean by that? Well, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, Rich, where where you have this quarterly census data that, you know, I understand it can't be done every single month because it's just too complicated and it's too much work and there aren't enough people to do it. And it also takes too long to get the data. In other words, if you did the census, you know, this month in January, you wouldn't have it until sometime much later in the year. So the, the BLS gives us, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, gives us these monthly job estimates, except the problem is we're finding out that all of those great jobs numbers last year were all completely wrong. In other words, we didn't add anywhere near the number of jobs that we were told we did. There's a story that I saw from Politico, and I'll, I'll read you the headline here. Biden's manufacturing boom is underway, but the jobs haven't followed yet. The new manufacturing jobs tied to Biden's investment plans are coming, but maybe not until after the election. My question is, when you look at the, 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 the economy and they, they separate it by the job, the job market, I mean, they separate it by what? Non, non-farm jobs, I think, is what, how they do this, right? What really right, is, right, exactly. What really is the, the actual truth? Because this, this article from Politico, and Politico is not exactly right wing, they say manufacturers added just 12,000 jobs in 2023. That's it. 12,000. Right, exactly. And of those jobs, they were essentially all part time. They were actually manufacturers were actually laying off workers who were full time. So the idea that that somehow there's there's this robust hiring in manufacturing is an absolute farce. What is really happening in manufacturing is a lot of these businesses got guaranteed loans through the Inflation Reduction Act. I know you love that name as much as I do, (laughs) but they got all these guaranteed loans for green energy projects, things like factories to build solar panels and, and windmills. And you have to ask, why weren't these companies doing those projects to begin with? It's because they're not profitable. But what's going on now is the loans are guaranteed by the government so that if the business isn't profitable, the business gets to just simply, or I should say the owners of the business, get to simply walk away. And the taxpayer has to pick up the tab, except that the owner gets to, gets to keep all of the money that he made during that process. In other words, all the, the salary money that, that he essentially gave himself out of those government-backed loans. The whole thing is a complete scam. All right, now let me ask you this. T- today I was on a call with a bunch of um, political people in New Jersey, and they asked me, they said, what do you think is one economic issue that maybe politicians aren't addressing enough? Or what's the one thing kind of bubbling under the surface? My answer was the housing market. I think there's a lot of people, for example, take Philadelphia. They, they live in the city. They're tired of the crime. They're tired of the, of the, the chaos, the nonsense. They want to leave. They want, they want to move to the burbs and give their kids better schools, but they cannot find a house. And so as a consequence of that, you also have now, there's no inventory in the housing market. You have super high interest rates for mortgages. And then I want to, and then the effect of what the rental properties are as well, because then that's the other thing I'm hearing, which is people say, I can't find an apartment that I can afford either. That, that's going to have to be a thing. I mean, that, there's something there bubbling under the surface that I, I think is going to come out here in this election. A hundred percent, Rich. I think you are spot on here. We haven't had this percentage of young people living with their parents literally for several generations. We haven't had this percentage of 40-year-olds 
living with their parents since the Great Depression. People literally can't afford to get out on their own. You're, you know, they wonder, why is it that young people aren't getting married today? Maybe because they literally can't afford to live anywhere and they don't want to be a married couple living with their parents. I mean, my goodness, it's, it's absolutely insane that politicians have any priority right now besides a handful of things like securing the border and making it so that Americans can actually afford to live somewhere. What a novel idea. And I was just thinking about what, when, when you think about manufacturing jobs and a lot of people who work in manufacturing, um, their income level, you know, is, is a certain way. And they might think to themselves, all right, now's my chance to uh, uh, kids on the way, buy a bigger house, the American dream, you know, and they're the ones who I think are hurting the most here in all of this, because they're that was how it always worked in America. You, you, you bought the starter house. And then as you made a little bit more money and you grew your family, you bought a bigger house. And that, that was kind of the way it went. And then somebody would come in and buy that starter house. And, and now people are not moving out of their starter houses. So you've got this, this, this lack of inventory that's out there. And you're talking about people in the manufacturing sector who are very nervous about things. I thought it was a big tell when the head of the United Auto Workers Union came out and endorsed Biden, but said, I know a great majority of my members are not going to vote for him. They're going to be voting for it with their paychecks. I mean, you, you have to stop yourself and go, then why did you back him? And the only answer I can come up with is because of all the green subsidies and all the battery subsidies and all the nonsense that they're getting, I, I don't know what other reason you could defy your own members to such a degree because these guys who actually work for a living, these guys and gals who actually work for a living, they're not voting for this president. No, it's exactly right. And you know what? It just goes once again to show you how so often union leadership does not have union members in their like it's not in their interest to actually support their own members. It's in their interest to support themselves. That's exactly what's going on here. But, you know, Rich, I got to go back to when you were talking about starter homes. The starter home doesn't even exist anymore. When the median home in America has has almost doubled in three years, the, the price, I mean, when, when the median home is $400,000, people can't afford that, certainly not with a 7% interest rate. I mean, again, it's, I just I don't know how else to say it other than it is absolutely insane. One other stat for you, the, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, they actually keep a, a monthly score of this. It's called a Home Ownership Affordability Index. And what they have found is if you look at all of the major metro areas across the country, that's that's basically an area with at least 500,000 people. There is literally one left in the entire country where a home is considered affordable, meaning the median household income can buy the median price home. This is absolutely insane. I, I tell you, I, I'm amazed by how Janet Yellen can go out there and convince everybody that the economy is robust. And, and you can even see articles about this. I'm, there's such a disconnect in this country right now between people who are making money and people that are just getting by. I mean, there is a real disconnect. I don't think that people in the media have caught on to it yet. I, I, I just I don't think they, they do, because, I mean, I even saw this article in The Wall Street Journal that said America's remarkably resilient economy. And the whole thing about it was and this is I'm glad you're here for this, you know, spending by consumers and governments keeps powering growth and can it last that's the question the uh, wall street journal editorial board asked each of the spending by consumers a lot of this and we've talked about this before 
A lot of this is going on their credit cards. You know, a lot of this spending, they still have to buy stuff. They still have to buy things. And they're putting that on their credit cards. That debt bubble that's building as well under this economy, at some point that's got to be dealt with. A hundred percent. And that's another bubble. I mean, you know, that's going to burst, but it's going to be more like, I think, a bomb going off at this point. And we have to remember, Rich, that although we talk about the consumer spending number growing and being fueled by debt, and that's 100% true. I'm right there with you. We also have to remember that the government spending number doesn't even include government transfers. In other words, I, as the government, I'm going to take a dollar from you and I'm going to give it to to your producer, Matt, and then he's going to go out and spend it. That spending by Matt doesn't even get counted as government spending. It's get, it gets counted as consumer spending. And so a huge chunk of that consumer spending, basically what isn't being fueled by private debt, is being fueled by government debt. You know, to, buy, to basically buy less than $330 billion of, of GDP growth in the, in the last quarter, the government had to go over $830 billion into debt. Please, someone tell me how that is in any way sustainable. Tell me how UPS is sustainable at this point. I mean, today they announced they're cutting 12,000 jobs. They're going to mandate re- return to offices five days a week for their employees. Didn't they just give out these lavish contracts not too not too long ago to to their drivers? And then this was the whole big thing that they 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 wanted these big raises. They got these big raises and now they're slashing jobs. Exactly. It was literally just four months ago that once again, going back to the union leadership, not acting in the best interest of union members. Just four months ago, the union leadership was crowing about the fact that they they negotiated and secured these massive raises for their members. Guess what? For a lot of those members, it turns out you didn't secure a raise at all. You secured a cut all the way down to zero because those people are getting laid off because the company can't afford to pay that many people at that rate. And a lot of these measures that they're doing are basically ways to try to get people to quit instead of having to lay them off. That's things like requiring that we're all going to have to be back in the office five days a week because they know that a certain percentage of their workers are going to say, ah, you know what, forget it. It's not worth it. I quit. Mm. So uh, the the official layoff numbers, I think, are going to get much worse is what I'm trying to say, Rich, because, again, a portion of those workers that they're putting these new requirements on are going to leave. And that's a de facto layoff. EJ and Tony, always spot on with your analysis, my friend. We appreciate it. And uh, he, of course, is from the Heritage Foundation. And you should follow Dr. EJ and Tony on Twitter because you will always get the real truth about everything at real EJ and Tony. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Now, the question is. And I'd really like to hear from you on this, especially if you are a parent. Uh, would you support a social media ban for children under the age of 16? 855-839-1210 is the number. 855-839-1210. So let me lay it out for you, and you can tell me what you think. It's a bill in Florida that passed the legislature. And it would say that that uh, children under 16 would not be able to use certain social media sites. All right? they They... They find them to be essentially now something that is dangerous for the youths, all right? And that the the social media ban in Florida that's proposed would protect children no different than 
you're protecting children from tobacco or alcohol or anything else. So the question then is, is that the way we should go? The Florida Attorney General thinks that this is a great idea, basically says we have an obligation to protect our children. The governor, Ron DeSantis, he, he thinks right now this bill will probably not be held up in court. And he's concerned about the scope of it because he thinks that it won't withstand judicial scrutiny. Florida children under the age of 16 would be banned from popular social media platforms, regardless of parent approval, under a bill passed by the House uh, and the Senate. And it doesn't list which platforms would be affected, but it targets any social media site that tracks user activity, allows children to upload material and interact with others, and uses addictive features designed to cause excessive or compulsive use. The bill would not affect apps used for private messages between individuals. Quote, they're taking advantage of kids growing up. That's their business model. And why do they do it? To keep them hooked with their dopamine hits that the platform give our children with every autoplay, like with every push notification. And several Democrats joined in. It really was a bipartisan bill. And the question is, is this something that you think is a good idea? Now, obviously, as parents, we always want to protect our children, clearly. The question is whether or not a government ban is the best way to get there. And here's what I mean. As a parent, it's very difficult to know what your kids are doing all the time. I'm finding this out with a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like when they become teenagers. And I've heard from my friends who are teenagers that it's very difficult to know all the time what your kids are doing online. So obviously, there's a sense that says, well, if the government comes in, and bans kids under 16 from doing these things, that will solve the problem. We also know, though, that there's always the unintended consequence in life. And a lot of times when you tell, particularly teenagers, they can't do something, they want to do it even more. And the problem is, for a lot of them, they might go even deeper into a more dark place. In other words, if if your goal here is to protect the kids from predators, If your goal here is to protect the kids from going to bad places that would make it difficult for parents to even really be able to monitor them, would that make it even worse? Would the kids find ways to still go on apps, social media apps? Because, you know, I mean, they're all they're all out there and there's always new ones being created and there's the dark web and there's all that. Would they then find those places, find those things and then spread it among their friends, in which case then. The state now has to come and ban that too. But by the time that happens, it may be too late. So is it really going to solve a problem or is it just going to shift a demographic to using other things? Because obviously, you know, if the state of Florida comes out and says this and they say, for example, say kids can't use Instagram because Instagram is terrible. It's making these kids depressed and it's just it really uh, affects girls negative self-esteem and all those things. And that may be true. But the question is then, as a parent, does my kid go to some other place that makes it even harder for me to be able to monitor what's happening on that app or what they're doing online? Because the the other kids have found, you know, this other app on the dark web or this other app that the state hasn't identified for the ban yet. And all the kids go over there. So is the government ban the answer is the question. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. And does this take away? the ability of parents to make these decisions for their children about whether or not they believe that their kids should be able to use these things. I mean, there are some people whose 13-year-old kid is way more advanced than 17-year-old kids. 
So should this be something that the government decides for you as a parent, or should this be something that you get to decide as a parent for your kids? You can either tweet me on social media at Rich Zioli and weigh in, or you can call the show 855-839-1210. Like, for example, I'll give you one comment that I got from Carrie. And I think Carrie is, uh, is, is very astute in her thinking here. She said, Rich, as much as I would like to keep kids safe from the dangers of social media, I stand with my belief that if you give the government an inch, they will always take a mile. Do you agree with Carrie? Or do you think, you know, this is an imperative. We have to we have to do this. Now, this is one of those areas where Democrats and Republicans sound a lot alike. Like for example, the New York City mayor, Eric Adams, has declared social media to be an environmental toxin and a public health hazard and says young people must be protected from harm online. Now, what they're not talking about protecting young people from pedophiles and predators and things like that. They're, they're literally talking about the engagement that kids go through, the engagement by other kids, mostly. And then also to the fact that these kids get addicted to these things, whether it's YouTube or TikTok or Facebook. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, says these sites are fueling a mental health crisis by designing their platforms with addictive and dangerous features. And he says, we are the first major American city to take this step and call out the danger of social media like it is. Just as the Surgeon General did with tobacco and guns, we are treating social media like other public health hazards and ensuring that tech companies take responsibility for their products. Doesn't sound that different from the Attorney General of Florida, who's a Republican, or the Republican Speaker of the House, who is the one who wrote the legislation. In May of 2023, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy issued an advisory warning that excessive social media use could be a profound risk to young mental health. The advisory recognized that social media has both positive and negative effects on young people. According to Pew Research, 59% of adolescents reported that social media helps them feel more accepted. But the advisory said ultimately there wasn't enough research and clear data to determine if social media is safe for adolescent use. Quote, I issued my advisory on social media and youth mental health because the most common question parents ask me is if social media is safe for their kids. While some kids experience benefits from social media, there is not enough evidence to conclude that social media is sufficiently safe, the attorney general said last year, and said there is more evidence that many kids are harmed by their use of social media. Again, not the Biden Surgeon General and the mayor of New York City don't sound that different from what a lot of the Republicans in Florida are saying. You know, the, the Republicans in Florida are basically saying the same thing. So this is one of those rare times where you have Democrats and Republicans sounding a lot like each other. The Republican who proposed the bill in Florida said the following. We must address the harmful effects social media platforms have on the development and well-being of our kids. Florida has a compelling state interest and duty to protect our children, their mental health, and their childhood. The bill would also require firms to permanently delete personal information collected from the terminated accounts and let parents bring civil suits against those failing to do so. Now, that may be in and of itself a worthy goal here to require the firms to delete personal information from people under 16. That's, I think, separate from that. But the question, of course, of whether or not there should be a ban. Now, sponsors said the measure was necessary to protect children from depression, anxiety and other mental health. Uh, that they say are linked to excessive use of social media. 
Opponents argue the bill goes too far, with some urging less restrictive measures such as letting parents opt in or out of allowing their children to use social media. Now, I would tell you a lot of parents would say, you can't do it that way, because if you do it that way, then there's going to be too much pressure on parents to let our kids opt in, and we're going to be the bad guys. And so there's a reflexive, I think, reaction then from parents a lot of times to turn around and say, so government, you do it for me. Take this off my plate. HB1 would require new social media users from a 13-year-old in Miami to a 73-year-old from Boca to provide possibly sensitive identifying information, such as a driver's license or birth certificate to a third-party organization to verify their age. Now, that's also a big problem, in my opinion, because the other problem that this opens up then is, how do you know somebody is actually 16? Do I have to verify my identity? What if I don't want to? And what if I want to be anonymous on Twitter? This is kind of like what Nikki Haley proposed, where she said everybody has to register for social media. What if I don't want to give Facebook my driver's license? I just want to go on there and come up with a fake profile and spout off all my MAGA rhetoric without worrying about the government tracking me and spying on me. Because there's another story I have today, kind of ties in, I think, to the whole question around this. That the National Security Agency, the NSA, is purchasing Americans' internet browsing data without warrants. They're just buying it like like a third-party clothing company would to get access to your social media data. And the Department of Justice already has been doing this. The FBI has been doing this as well. So what if I don't want to have to give my information? If this bill passes, it seems to me you have to require everybody to verify their identity because how do you know if somebody's a kid or not? You can't just say, well, you only have to verify your identity if you're younger than 16 because they're not going to be able to be on the platform. So how would they? The only way you can root out people being on there who are younger than 16 is to make every single person register with some third party in some 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 monitoring way to ensure that everybody is the age they say they are. So are you okay with that, too? Because you'll lose the anonymity that social media offers. The other problem that I think the bill has as well is the other issue of just, and this is kind of a a principle thing. Do we really want the government making these decisions for us as parents? Or do we want to make these decisions for ourselves as parents? Do we want to be able to find ways? Now, I'm all for parents being very involved in their kids' lives. I know there are some that aren't. But does that justify then giving the government new powers just because there are deadbeat parents. And with those deadbeat parents in particular who don't know what the hell their kids are doing all day, if it's not Instagram, is it something worse would be the question. So there's a lot of unintended consequences with this, like there always are whenever you have government bans. So what do you think? Should this go through? 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Let me ask Mike and Voorhees. Or Mike, you tell me, buddy. What's going on? How are you? Good. So... I agree. I think this would be a legal and logistical nightmare to do all this. It would be a mess. So rather than go to these extremes, why don't we first require uh, in elementary schools some type of courses uh, to teach kids about the dangers of social media? Why don't we start there that you have a specific curriculum about this? And if that doesn't work, then you consider some of these extreme measures. But but teach them in the school and re- and have... Governor DeSantis requires specific curriculum on this topic. 
How would that work? You think? I mean, what would they what would they say to kids exactly? How would they do that? You think? Well, you give tips on. Uh, first of all, you, you want to avoid things like stalking and, and you know people pretending that they aren't. You don't want you know trafficking is a big issue or, sure. and kidnapping. Uh, so you just introduce any of those dangers, and uh, you just educate people on how these things could be addictive and, you know, what marketers do and, and just make them aware. I don't know how young kids will understand that, but uh, I think that would be a first step. Uh, Mike, rather thank than you. Do laws. Thank you very much for your thoughts, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Mike. Kevin's in Bucks. Kevin, go ahead. Hey, Rich. Um, so two quick things. First of all, this, this is a slippery slope. We allow... We give out freely our information to social media, right? It's, it's in their terms of service. Just because we have access these days to complain and opine and everything, right? It's in there that, that we give freely our information. So there's that. But as I was saying to uh, Matt DeSantis, uh, my now 32-year-old daughter, who's a travel nurse at 13, was on a website called Zanga. It was like MySpace. And her username was Dance in Your Underwear. And she posted a story about someday she was coming home from swim practice and how she got pantsed by her friend. And a guy driving by in a truck rolled by and laughed, right? Now, you know, me as a dad, I got really ticked off. And I went up to her. I said, well, are you kidding me? She was, but dad, I was wearing my bathing suit. I'm like, but nowhere in your story did you say that? If you said you were in your bathing suit, fine. But your username was dancing your underwear. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, conne- I'm connecting these dots, kiddo. So either edit it or get off the site, right? But we freely, we do give out. This is... Unless you own your own website, these social media, we're beholden to them. And they're, they buy and sell our information because well, you, that's what we do. But, but the point you're illustrating, which is a good one, I think, is that you're involved in your daughter's life. So you know what she's doing online. I mean, the argument would be that uh, if you were not involved with what your daughter was doing, she'd be on social media doing all these things and having all the harmful effects of it and everything else. And nobody's there to prevent her from doing those things, Mike, uh, excuse me, Kevin, because you're not involved in her life. You see what I mean? No, uh, agreed. And again, keeping in mind, she's 32 now. So now my other daughter's art therapist. She's a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And so wait, do you, do you support the ban or, or no? No, no, I okay. no because as, as parents, you need to, you know, remind, remember, I'm the guy that owns. Greg Stocker. So right. No, I know. Kevin, so, we know who you are. I just I thank you. Buddy. All right. I thank I you, Kevin. Hey. I appreciate it. I just want to make sure I want to get some other calls in here. Thank you, Kevin. Um, Dave is in Pottstown. Dave, go ahead, sir. Hey, Rich. Um, yeah, I just think this is unenforceable. I think it, it would end up being like prohibition. Um, there's You can't keep kids off of porn sites. I caught my 12-year-old son. Uh, he's not 12 anymore, but I caught him on, on Internet porn. If you can't keep a kid off of internet porn, you're not going to keep them off social media. They're, they're, it's impossible. Um, there's no way to enforce it. Um, I, yeah, I agree that it's harmful. Force the companies to, to change the, 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 their tactics 
to try and get kids addicted on this stuff, um, that that's what has to be enforced, not the kid being on social media. By the way, what did you do when you caught your son using internet porn? Well, I I, I had a a, a father son talk of uh, hey this this is this is adult material uh, it's it's not for children uh, you know it, you know it, it's it's an uncomfortable conversation yeah. to, to say the least but hey you know. Uh, they they find it whether it be accidentally or on purpose. Other kids are doing it in school, and uh, you know any kid can can go on their on their own phone and, and get on an internet porn site. So how are you going to stop them from getting on Facebook or TikTok or whatever you know? Uh, sites that you want to uh, well, you have to have age on. verification if you're going to do it that way. But that means yeah, goodbye I mean, anonymity, you know, Dave. Dave, thank you very much for your call and your yep. thoughts. I appreciate it. Uh, Vince is in Douglasville. Vince, go ahead. Rich, you were the best in the morning, and you're the best in the afternoon. You uh, still got thank it. you, Vince. I, I appreciate. You're that. welcome. You're welcome. I got so much to say about this. Number one, it's the job of the parent to be the parent, and they just want to offload this. You can try and change the algorithms of TikTok. You can try and pressure them, but it's at, in the end, it's never going to work because that's how marketers capture information. Number two, uh, when I was when I was uh, sixteen, I ordered my driver's license so that I could get served. All right, there's you know we had the warning stickers on the records. We bought all the records. It, it it's all there's always a workaround. You be a good parent, and that fixes that. But here's a really dangerous proposition when the government has it. Well, there's two actually. Number one is they have your uh, birth certificate and your information at 16, two more years, they're going to be able to sell your information at 18 and market back to you. But here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem I see, man, if we go through another COVID pandemic, who's to say that the government's not going to push ads directed at your kids that while they're 16 say, you need to be vaccinated. Yeah. If your parents aren't vaccinating you, they're bad parents. Sure. Or maybe it's climate change. Or maybe dad took too many airplane trips, and they're going to start getting fed this Greta Thunberg crap. Yeah, look, that's I mean, that's bad. an excellent point, right? If, if, they, if the government has all that knowledge of what my children are doing online, they can certainly decide which messages they see or don't see. Yeah, and, you've, and I'm, I'm a, I've been it's following this vaccine point. stuff for three years. It's not good for young people. Males, okay? Now, that's the biggest, scariest problem I have with them trying to hide it's under the office. Yeah, no, you, make, you, make it, you, you bring up an excellent unintended consequence, Vince. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. And thanks for your kind words. You're welcome. Love to get a new way of thinking about things. So, Vince, thank you for that. All right, 855-839-1210. Uh, I'll share with you some social media thoughts here. Uh, Baby, it's gold outside. says, Rich, I have mixed feelings, but this is important. My 25-year-old son just told me that Google Images was his first view of soft porn he was 11 years old looking for something for school he said that was when i first realized i could search for anything Mm -hmm. well that probably won't change um santo said parents should decide what social i'll come to you in just a sec don't worry parents should decide what social media their kids have access to not the government there has to be a way to block apps or access on their devices parents need to step it up chris apolito says rich as i prepare to tweet oh he, he was commenting on kerry's tweet which i read earlier Old man Dudley says, sooner or later, the libs and government will declare that being a teenager is an unsafe mental health risk. The kids will have to cocoon until they are 20 and can pass a social stress test. Now, my other friend had a great point, which I think is excellent. She said, 
Um, Social media is a tool. The question is whether or not as parents, it would be useful to be involved in them learning how to use it responsibly rather than waiting until high school when they are less likely to communicate at all and then dive right in. And their brain is still at risk for being hijacked due to psychological development. So why not wait until 25? And she's being sarcastic there. But yes, the point is that if you don't let them do social media till they're 16, kind of like the old argument of, you know, if the first time a kid goes to college and has a beer and then goes completely crazy because he's never, you know, been exposed to anything before. It's kind of that argument as well. Um, all right. Joanna is in Potsdam. Joanna, go ahead. Hey, Rich. I love your show. Um, but Thank I just you. have a comment to a previous neighbor in Pottstown, Mike, said about put it in the schools. I'm a teacher, and no thank you. No more and more government curriculum. No more curriculum. We have, we have these kiddos. we got to teach how to read and write. And then as a mom who has a teenager, these are lockdown kids. That This is how they did a lot of their socialization when they were in lockdown. We need to teach them responsibility, not take it away. Parents have to teach these kiddos to be responsible and what it looks like online as a responsible user. And what do we do about the kids whose parents are just not involved in their lives, though, and then wind up getting turned over to Instagram or Twitter? And uh, by the way, I agree with you. I'm just, you know, that that's the counter argument that's used. It, It is rich. And as a teacher, I deal with, you know, some parents who don't aren't involved as others. And that's just when you do have to have a conversation with the child. You hope that they have a safe adult. You hope that they have good friends and that there's some type of leadership or responsibility in their life. But we can't. uh, No new curriculum, please. (laughs) Okay, Uh, listen, I hear you. Joanna, thank you. I appreciate it. Henry, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I don't like the idea of the government stepping in and doing something. But I mean, I I would take it a step further. I wouldn't allow kids under the age of 18 to have any smartphones or uh, tablets or anything like that. Whoa. I think it, it's all a distraction. I mean, I can think about like when I was in high school, like, you know, we were supposed to use, you know, an iPad or a tablet for learning. Yeah. All I ended up doing was playing games the entire class pretty much right. all day, every day. And then, you know, you get home from school and what do you do? You flip on social media and it's all just a time waster. It's been a time waster since I was, you know, 11 years old here. I'm going on, you know, a decade and a half here of just being on social media, wasting time. So you're actually suggesting now no iPads, no iPhones, nothing Not, until they're adults. None of it. None wow. of it. I, 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 it's just generally, I don't see any good of it. You can have a cell phone, you know, you it's can still old. text people, you right. call people, do the basic things. But there's just so much time wasting, so much dopamine, just overload from whether it's games or it's social media or it's porn, like everything it's it's crazy how much they prey on like you know kids adult yeah. and i i don't think adults would know how to regulate or parents i should say like regulated a lot of times like what what do you do i don't i think it's just cut it off at the head cut it off at the head the yeah. what do you think uh well obviously i don't think the government should be uh regulating who's using social media I, i'm not as angry about it as Henry is. Henry's very angry. I don't think social media is even a net negative. I think it could be a positive way for you to communicate with friends in certain scenarios. Um, I do think that... What scenarios? I mean, it's fun to communicate with friends on on Twitter, for example, or on Facebook. Like, people enjoy themselves. What's the difference between that and texting? 
It's fun to post a picture on Instagram. Like, I get why people enjoy it. I don't think it's necessarily a net negative unless it's abused. So I do think parents have an obligation to place some restrictions on on what their kids are using um, via social media. Uh, I, I think it's more of a parental issue than it is a government issue, certainly. I, I'm all for a parental opt-in measure, even though I'm sure as parents we'd all succumb to opting in, but... And I don't, I, I don't know if really these things are... I mean, I had an Atari when I was a kid. I had a Nintendo when I was a kid. Sure. I loved it. I played with my friends. I played Nintendo. My parents knew where I was. They knew where I was. They knew I was safe. You know what I mean? My son plays Minecraft with his cousin for yeah. a little bit on Saturday. I play Pac-Man with him because we got one of those old school arcade machines in the basement. Uh, I mean, is, am I really... Is it really hurting him? You know, I don't think I so. didn't say anything about video games. I think video games are fine. You communicate over, you know, Xbox Live or PSN or whatever you, you know, use. Those are fine because you know where you are. You're at the console. Right. You're not posting anything. You're I, not doing anything. I think even Twitter, though, uh, as an example, could be used as a net positive. I, sure. I, it's a great source for breaking news. It's better than basically what? any other news. I, I honestly believe it's the best source for breaking news. Better than the New York Times, better than the Wall Street Journal, better than basically any other outlet. And if you were to just prevent anyone 16 or under from accessing Twitter, I, I, it's certainly a minority of people under the age of 16, but I'm, I'm sure they exist. People genuinely interested in what's going on in the world. I, I think it stifles their growth. You actually raise another great point, which is another unintended consequence of this bill, which is that kids would only get their information, theoretically now, from school. They wouldn't be able to challenge it. So if somebody hears something from their woke economics teacher and wants to go online to challenge it and find out something else, they can't. Or a lot of times you've got people posting things because it goes against the narrative of the corporate media or the school and then the young people would not be able to be exposed to that because they're not allowed to be on social media. Yeah, I definitely. So until think- you're 16 or in Henry's world, 18 or 30 with Henry, the tyrant over here, <laughs> uh, you would never be allowed to get an alternative opinion to anything than what the, I mean, they tell you. You could still bring like uh, like tablets into the classroom as long as they're like, you know, they have the right blocks. And like you could go on the Internet. But you write, you know, you need the right blocks on them. So, Henry, you want the state then to control the sites that the kids could go on? Not necessarily, no. But like, if you wanted to go on like Google or use DuckDuckGo, but if I, think I want to go on, fine. say, I don't know, but you uh, can't use like human events. The school deems that to be outside of their or a conspiracy events. site. I want to go on Infowars and look up something. Can I? Can I do that? Or does the school say no? Depends on the school, I guess. It, this is the problem. Yeah, I, I hear this you. This is the problem. I hear you. I, and then you really ne- I mean, all this way. stuff that you find that many times is contrary to the narrative that we talk about all the time, the narrative, we find that on social media. Yeah. So our kids would then only be exposed to the narrative that is pushed out by the corporate media but, or their public I, education I also system. think you're talking about like a very select few kids that actually want to keep up with the news and know the news. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it just seems like that's not like the pressing issue with kids. It's like, oh, how are they going to get the news, you know? Yeah. Um, horse of a difference says, Henry can go live in the woods in a scary old cabin. No internet, and the rest <laughs> of us can use technology. Like Henry David <laughs> Thoreau. Yeah, Henry David Thoreau, yes. Like, I, I put, I put take limits road on less my travel. phone. Henry's I, like, I don't think we should have electricity until they're 18. I, you know, if someone ever attacks the grid and, you know, yeah. blows everything up and they wipe all the servers and whatnot, that'd be I actually think you're off the grid. I think you're John Connor. I think you're off the grid <laughs> and nobody can actually find Henry. I, I try my best. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm on social media apps, but, like, I put limits on them. 
Like I put time limits good. on. Yeah, because it's just it's terrible for me. I, 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 I'm glad you've recognized that. I, I do. I'm, I'm glad you've recognized it's a problem for yourself, which is good. But then you're taking self-control, which I admire, you know, and not giving it into the hands of the government to take it away from you. I, again, I don't want the government I to know. come in. I just gave I you know. my thought. Your th- I, I know. That's important to note. Henry's not pushing for a nationwide ban on iPads or iPhones <laughs> until people are 18. That's just what he personally believes. Yeah. I just want to make that point clear. In case Henry gets a lot of hate mail. Like, What's up with this tyrant? No, he doesn't. <laughs> Henry wants to behead people that use iP- in the spirit of Henry the <laughs> Eighth. If you if you go on Twitter and you're under, he wants to behead you. Uh, all right. So uh, eight five. The the other problem. I'll just say one one last unintended consequence, and this has to do with the guns. Uh, there are a lot of parents who take their kids shooting, and they do so to teach them how to use guns safely and properly. And you know, the left would love to ban that. For example, they would love for an 18-year-old to never get their hands on a gun. They'd love for a 21-year-old to never get their hands on a gun, anyone under 21. The minute you start allowing government to decide what's scary for our kids and give them the power and take it away from you as a parent, you open up the door for, you know, today it's, I agree with you on this, but then tomorrow it's, wait, you don't, my kid can't use a firearm until he's 21, not even with me as a parent at a shooting range or no, nothing, no? You see, it becomes a problem when you take the power and give it to the government to start deciding these things for you. Uh, And this is the big story of the day today, brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Go see him today with two locations to serve you in Cinnamonson and Woodbury. Schedule your free implant consultation for your perfect smile. Call 856-786-2020 or visit venariadental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, venariadental.com. Coming up, more government regulation coming out and more of the government's so-called trust busting and the unintended consequences of that in the economy. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, this is the drive at 5. 30 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli. Well, speaking of unintended consequences, antitrust regulators like America's mother-in-law, Elizabeth Warren, have just heard American jobs and given a gift to China. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. I want to go right to our guest. I'm very happy to have him back. Robert Warren Jr. is the president of the... Put him on hold here. Get a little bit of an echo. Um... President of the Antitrust Education Project and President of the Bork Communication Group, Communication Robert Bork Group. Jr. Robert uh, Matt, Jr. we're getting some sort of an echo. I'll let you see if you can pick up the phone and see if we can figure that out. In the meantime, what I'll do is I'll set up the topic, as they say in the biz. I'll set up the topic. So uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, has uh, prodded antitrust regulators to block Amazon's acquisition of Roomba. They make iRobot. Those are those little vacuum things that go around your house and do all the vacuuming for you. And some have mop features now. On Monday, the two companies called off their deal amid opposition from competition regulators. What a coup for the Chinese. Progressives opposed Amazon's $1.7 billion bid for iRobot the moment it was announced. 
in August of 2022. They claimed without evidence that Amazon would undermine Roomba rivals selling on the company's online marketplace and use the smart vacuum to spy on American homes. But they mostly worry that the acquisition would make Amazon more powerful. And here to talk about it with us, Robert Bork, Jr., president of the Antitrust Education Project and president of the Bork Communication Group. Uh, thanks for joining me in Philadelphia again. I appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm great. Sorry about the echo, but no, that's here okay. I am. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, I mean, once again, you know, once again, meddling and sticking her nose into the private uh, economy and making things worse. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, what they don't like, the progressive left, uh, Elizabeth Warren, is you referred to her as the mother-in-law. America's like mother-in-law, that. yeah. <laughs> Uh, no offense to mothers-in-law like, out there, but you know, no, I, you know, I like my mother-in-law. So, <laughs> but, uh, look, what, what they don't like is, uh, anything big, any company that innovates and creates new, uh, useful products and services that, uh, are on the cutting edge, which then they have to figure out how to control or regulate, you know? Uh, they don't like Amazon because it's huge and, and makes cu- customers happy. You know, you know, Amazon, for example, is uh, only it's only only the only organization more popular than Amazon in the United States is the United States military. Uh, so, you know, people love Amazon. They love their services. And Amazon was going to take this company, which was formed in 1990 and has done amazing things with robotics and take it to the next level. But they didn't like that idea because, as you said, they, they came. I don't think they really think that the, the, your Roomba is going to spy on you. I think it might sneak into my bedroom at night and try to kill me. But, <laughs> it, but I don't think they I don't really think they thought that what they don't like is that Amazon would uh, have uh, another uh, successful product and make more money. But but take a product that was struggling and make it better. And now, of course, what they've done exactly exactly is kill it. Because, you know, the moment they announced that the deal wasn't going to go through because the Europeans said they wouldn't approve it, uh, this American company, iRobot, laid off about a third of its staff, and uh, the CEO left. He quit or was pushed out. And, uh, you know, what you've got here is an opportunity to take this company to the next level. And, and by the way, who, as you said in your intro, who wins? Not some other small American company that was competing. No, the Chinese win. The Chinese dominate the home robotics market. This was a chance to give, you know, pump blood and oxygen into I, into iRobot and, and take them to the next level. And yes, Amazon would have benefited, which is exactly what they don't like. And that would have meant more jobs. Now we have less yeah, jobs. Yeah, more jobs. I mean, right. A $1.7 billion deal to buy Roomba. If I worked at Roomba and then this didn't go through and now I've lost my job as a consequence of that, I'm very angry today. I really am. I'm, 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 I'm very upset because I thought, you know, this was going to be great for me and my future and my family and everything else. Nobody thinks about that un- unintended consequences, uh, Robert Bork Jr. They, they just see, you know, all the evil that Amazon will do if they, if they own this, this, uh, Robot well, vacuum here's the, company. Here's the, here's the silly thing about all that. Where do you think these people who work for iRobot are going to go? So instead of staying at iRobot, maintaining the, that asset, 
and developing more of the robotic science there under the with the with the support of Amazon, they're going to lose their jobs or they're going to quit and walk away because the company they're working for isn't what it used to be. And Amazon may, in fact, hire a lot of those people because they they want to get into home robotics. They, you know, they they view you know they purchased Ring, uh, you know the the doorbell yep. camera thing. Uh, and they want to get into the what I guess is referred to as the Internet of Things. They are already in the Internet of Things. Uh, this is another in- thing that uses the Internet uh, to improve the life of consumers. Uh, you know, so th- those those scientists who work for iRobot may end up at Amazon anyway, uh, but without the uh, that core asset of iRobot that that was would have made it really a great acquisition. So I, you know, but but. Elizabeth Warren can, you know, mount another uh, head on the wall and <laughs> feel good about herself. You know what's also scary about this? I mean, in addition to Elizabeth Warren fighting this and, and, and our own government fighting this, the European Union was against it, the European antitrust regulators. And so th- this is America is becoming so much more like the EU in this thinking, which is really scary to me, I think, because I don't want to be like them. I, I don't want the United States of America to go that way. No, and the EU, you know, I love I love uh, Europe. It's a beautiful place, but they don't make anything there. They don't invent anything there. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, I guess, what's the French word for Apple? Palm. There's no palm there. There's no no company inventing new and amazing things there. So uh, all they do is is basically tax and regulate American things there, uh, and uh, so what you get is and frankly you know they are essentially the assassination squad for uh for uh Lena Khan and Elizabeth Warren uh you know if if we can't if they can't get them here if they can't get iRobot here and they can't get Amazon here which she's desperately trying to do uh, call you know dial up your buddies in 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 Brussels and where they have different laws and say well you block that deal I can't block that deal you block that deal and, and, and in fact, in the uh, there was a story I think in the Wall Street Journal uh, that pointed out uh, that uh, the, we had a quote from the uh, European Commission Executive Vice President saying, "Yeah, we were in close contact with the Federal Trade Commission during all of this." So it's a you know, it's a collaboration, or you know, it's a it's a, uh, a conspiracy to to kill American companies that create jobs. That create wealth, that create products and services that people want, that satisfy consumer demand, uh, and ultimately, I think you know, to uh, try to kneecap capitalism. It's also worth noting that iRobot laid off 350 employees. It's a Massachusetts-based company, which obviously makes Elizabeth Warren. She's the United States Senator from Massachusetts, so obviously, I mean, it, you know, that, that's 350 of her constituents. She just helped play a role in killing their jobs. I mean, you know, let's not forget that for a moment. I was reading over, I I love following your tweets, and I highly suggest that you follow the antitrust education product on Twitter at antitrustedu. There was another merger that they're trying to kill, and this is between JetBlue and Spirit. And um, I I read your your piece on this. I think when people first hear these things, they go, oh, man, that's going to mean now. I have even less choices. If those two airlines merge, then I'm going to have even less choices in the marketplace. So I want to block this merger because, you know, there's just right now, there's just not enough airlines to choose from, and this will make it even worse. 
Short-sighted, very short-sighted. But, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense that if that's your mindset, that two companies merging is is a bad thing, then, uh, yes, it makes perfect sense. But the simple fact of the matter is that the unintended consequence of that will be that spirit will suffer. It was, you know, it's a struggling airline. Uh, There will be uh, higher prices and and, and fewer flights. Uh, served in that by 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 that uh, by those two airlines, and you know, and, and what do we get for that? We we get to feel good that we stopped two smaller airlines from competing with the bigger ones. That's what it would have done. It would have created a, a somewhat larger airline to compete with, you know, American and United and 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 the other bigger airlines. Uh, but uh, you know, the the short sighted left it doesn't see it that way. No, and then the the problem is that, as you point out, Spirit is a chapter is headed towards Chapter Eleven. I mean, it, they're they're bleeding right. cash. They're laying off employees left and right. This merger would have would have saved a lot of jobs and saved it saved that company, which they now may go under. And if lack of competition is your biggest concern, then let the merger go through because now you're going to have more competition versus spirit going under. And now you've lost an airline that's gone versus two airlines merging together to build bigger planes and serve more routes and employ more people. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense to oppose this, but the judge who wrote this opinion, I mean, he wrote spirit is a small airline where there are those who love it to those dedicated customers of spirit. This one's for you. He actually wrote that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really kind of frightening the economic illiteracy that is uh, <laughs> rampant uh, in some in some quarters of the economy uh, of the country, um, and that uh, the judge uh, uh, displayed all of it. Uh, and, and you know, you know, uh, JetBlue is trying to uh, appeal that, and Spirit, uh, I think, is going to walk away from that appeal because they they can't afford it. Um, right. So we're going to see more. Uh, you know, another little bit of our uh, economic uh, uh, you know, prowess with airlines uh, just be bled off because it made some lefty, uh, you know, unhappy to allow a merger to go through. Well, I appreciate your, you keeping up the good fight here. Before I let you go, I also noticed that you, you guys have been tweeting out a lot about uh, DEI. And you said, you know, why don't we break up the, the DEI monopoly uh, and the ESG monopoly and everything else, because I mean, th- this is going to be another thing that really is causing businesses to to be hurt in this country. And again, the government's all in on this stuff and forcing this down our throats, and it has to be stopped. You're, you're right. You know, I spent a lot. Of, I spent a lot of time since we started the antitrust uh, antitrust education project talking about the things I was against in antitrust. And then I discovered what I was for. Uh, let's break. Let's fight the ESG cartel. That is the biggest cartel. In the history of mankind, it makes you know it, it makes the uh, uh, the oil cartel in the Middle East look like a lemonade stand. It's you know this is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars uh, being uh, used uh, in the, allegedly in the name of the environment, but actually being used to destroy capitalism, destroy fossil fuels, and uh, there's another whole fight going on there, which I'd love to talk about sometime. Well, we'd love to have you back on the show anytime. Robert Bork, Jr., president of the Antitrust Education Project and president of the Bork Communication Group. Thanks so much for joining me in Philadelphia. I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you. It's the 5 o'clock happy hour. 
on the Rich Seoli Show. Brought to you by the Oceanfront Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. A premier full-service resort and conference center. GrandHotelCapeMay.com uh, Now, I have a, I've got so much to get to, and uh, we're going to talk to Andy McCarthy at 535 about a number of different things on the, uh, in the court front. But just so you know, I mean... Biden right now is screaming he doesn't have enough authority on the border. And that is an absolute lie. And that's something we're going to talk about. But the president of the United States is not enforcing immigration law at the border. He's not enforcing border security. Congress empowered the president to do these things. And he's not doing these things. And Joe Biden could end it tomorrow. He could sign an executive order ending catch and release. He could sign an executive order which reinstates the remain in Mexico policy. He got rid of all these things on day number one. And Joe Biden also ended Trump's national emergency on the border as soon as he became president, just like when he killed the Keystone XL pipeline as well. And you don't need a border bill to give the president of the United States more authority. Joe Biden's out there yelling, going, I need more authority. I got to give me authority. Give me the authority. I'll close the border tomorrow. I'll close the border tomorrow, he says. First of all, isn't that racist? Because we heard that for a long time. We heard that it's racist to close the border and shut it down. We heard this from Beto O'Rourke. We heard Democrats screaming about that. We heard all these things. Now, apparently, with Joe Biden saying, if you sign, if you give me this bill, I'll sign it and I'll shut down the border, which, of course, means you have to pass Ukraine funding, which means you also have to give him everything he wants as far as amnesty changes, which will only empower more people to stay in this country, all the other things he wants. But he says, I need this power. And I'll shut down the border tomorrow. That's what he says. But not before I get this bill. So Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked a question. And this is a very good point here. I mean, how do you how do you justify this point? How do you isn't this hypocritical? You guys went after Trump for years saying he wanted to shut down the border. He was xenophobic and racist. Now, Joe Biden said the uh, is now saying the exact same thing. So isn't it racist when Joe Biden says it? Uh, Cut number nine. Back in the winter of 2018 and the spring of 2019, President Trump vowed to shut down the border with Mexico uh, using almost the identical language that the president used on Friday. Uh, Many, many, if not most, if not practically all Democrats called that xenophobic and even racist. Why uh, shouldn't people make the same conclusion about this president's threat to shut down the entire border with Mexico. So we believe the new enforcement tools uh, that currently don't exist, that will be, uh, we believe that will be part of this bipartisan agreement, uh, will be fair. We believe it'll be, yes, it'll be tough, but it will be fair. But he didn't say he wanted to use, excuse me, sorry, no, 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 he, did, he no, didn't no. say, I would, I, on, on day one, I will use enhanced enforcement to in, improve the processing of people at the border. He said, I will shut the border down. Which, which suggests a, a total rejection of all people attempting to cross the border without, without a visa or without, without proper authorization, which you know mm-hmm. stands in contravention to decades of international and U.S. law um, that that governs the the movement of people around the globe and the, and yeah. the refugees and asylum situ- system. Yeah, no, so I, that the same thing that Trump did? no, I understand your question. What I'm saying to you, the new enforcement tools, right, that we believe that do not currently exist, that will be part of this bipartisan agreement, there's, there are different, there are different definitions, right, of what that looks like, of what actually uh, shutting down the border looks like. Right? 
No, there aren't. It's either racist or it isn't to shut down the border. That's the point. It's not racist to secure the border. That's the thing. You Democrats have been hypocrites. But don't fall for this whole thing about Biden needs more power. Biden does not need more power. He's got all the power he needs as president of the United States. He can declare that a national emergency exists. He can send the army down there. It's not a posse comitatus issue because we're not on, we're not dealing with U.S. soil. We're dealing with them. I mean, doing domestic things on U.S. soil. We're dealing with them securing the border. There's lots of things Joe Biden can do. He could shut down every port of entry if he wanted to. There's lots of things he could do. He just doesn't want to. And he wants to get more money for Ukraine. And that's what this is really about. This is a scam. It's another scam that's happening right now. And here's Representative Robert Garcia. So uh, now this clip is ridiculous. Trump said a lot of things that were hyperbole on the campaign trail. And he never did them as president. I I know it's shocking. And this is one of those examples of this. Trump used a lot of hyperbole in his speeches. They were very entertaining. But he never did these things. But Robert Garcia of California, a Democrat congressman, is an open borders guy. So he wants open borders. So he believes that any enforcement of the border is wrong. He's one of those people that believe that America has to atone for its sins. And as part of that atonement, everybody who wants to come here should be allowed to come here. So he mocks what Trump says and he pretends like this. These ideas that Trump put out there were actually serious. Take a listen to this. Cut number eight. I I, I will not yield. I want to remind the public that Donald Trump and House Republicans also have their own ideas for the border. So let's review the majority's border ideas that they've actually presented. Here they are. Donald Trump actually has said that he wants to build alligator moats along the border. That's one of his incredible ideas. Good. Stop it right there. Let me just say for the record, I'm all in an alligator moats. Hell yeah, I am. Hell yes. You get me some alligator moats. (laughs) Problem solved. Done. Now, Trump didn't do that in the four years he was president. That's the first thing I would do if I was president. I would bring alligator. I would make alligator moats great again. You're damn right I would. (laughs) I might even throw in some crocodiles in there. I might even get me a crocodile moat while I'm at it. All right, let's keep going. Another idea that Donald Trump has promoted it's he actually wants to electrify the border fence. Good. Maybe even Yo, let, some... good. Electrify the border fence. I'm all in. You don't have to have the kind of thing that'll kill somebody. Just enough of a shock with them. They go flying backwards. Hey, remember the old bug things we had as kids? The bug zappers? <laughs> like that. I'm not saying you could kill the people, but they, it would just go up and they go flying backwards. Like Jurassic Park. Exactly. Not enough to kill, but it's really give them a shock. The problem with that, though, is then you know what will happen. The kids will all do a TikTok challenge. Who can withstand more more shocks? <laughs> yeah. So that's the that's the problem with that. That's why I, I, I say it's not going to really work. You know what I mean? <laughs> Plus, they'll come up with, with anti-electric suits. You know what I mean? Like the kids will come up with like duct tape themselves. And you know, like, so I'd go for a Velcro wall where you might get stuck on there and then we could, we could push you off. <laughs> that sounds like a game show. Yeah. The Velcro wall. Why not? Uh all right, let's keep going. On the border. That's another Donald Trump and MAGA majority border yes. idea. Another idea, which I'm not sure how, how well it would go, is he wants to actually bomb northern Mexico with missiles. Good. You know why? Another- Cabo is way too expensive. I, I mean this for real. I, I've had it with my friends who go to Cabo. I think they're very snooty. And I want to see northern Mexico bomb for that reason. You ever have a friend go to Cabo? It's like, you know what? You just think to yourself immediately, you jerk. You know what I mean? 
I went to Cabo. Oh, yeah? Well, guess what? If I'm president, I'm bombing it. So you can't even go there anymore. All right? <laughs> you're bombing it because you're jealous of your friend's vacation yeah. plans? Yeah, I am. I My my friend recently went to Cabo, <laughs> and I've always wanted to go. And if I can't go to Cabo, well, I'm bombing northern Mexico. All right? Yeah. That's how I roll. That's how I do it. Now, of course, if you bomb northern Mexico, there might be some unintended consequences, you know, like clouds of radiation or shrapnel or whatnot. But I don't care. I'm bombing it anyway because of Cabo that and Puerto Vallarta. That's it. Done. All right. Keep going. Trump idea. And finally, I think one of the ones that I think um, is the most grotesque is suggestions that instead we should maybe just shoot migrants in the legs as they cross the border. <laughs> So once again, the Donald Trump and MAGA plan. But not with bullets, dummy. You want to use darts, like dart guns. That'll <laughs> be like when you shoot the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <laughs> and we could pay people to stand on the top of the border wall with you know dart guns. Boom. Or maybe water guns. How about that? I mean, that would be fun. Super soakers. <laughs> Nobody wants to walk around in wet clothes. No, that's what I mean. You super soak the hell out of these people. They won't, they're not going to try to cross the border. You Are you well, kidding? Might as well just put Jurassic Park at the border. I mean, I'm all for that, too. Right? It could be an attraction for both sides. <laughs> no one's going to cross through it. You've got alligators, a r- electrified fence. You're getting shot with water guns. <laughs> And but the only problem is we bombed you, so you know there's that. I mean, I'm not. Why would I go through all the trouble to make an electric fence, alligator moats, and have water gun shooting stations, and then just bomb the place? That makes no sense whatsoever. Radioactive alligators does sound pretty menacing. Or though. maybe sharks with freaking that, laser beams. That How about that? Sounds like a dinosaur. That sounds like a dinosaur reincarnated. How about sharks with freaking laser beams? We just build a big, you know, thing from the sea to sea, flood it. Sharks with freaking laser beams. I mean, if we're doing the whole Jurassic Park thing, we should just bring back like a Megalodon. That'd be kind of cool. Fine, I'll do that. I'll make a Meg... Oh, no, I'll bring back a prehistoric crocodile and just put him right in the Rio Grande. <laughs> yeah, try and cross now, B. So, yes, thank you, Robert Garcia, for pointing out all of the things that Trump said and didn't do as president because they were ridiculous hyperbole. But I promise you, if I'm president, I will make alligator moats great again. <laughs> Day one. Day freaking one, okay? And I will not rest (laughs) until there's alligators and crocodiles, too. (laughs) The most ridiculous thing. Then you got to feed them, though. That's the only problem. What do you feed them with? Well, we'll make them man-eaters. They can eat the migrants who are trying to cross. I think they already are man-eaters, right? Yeah, they'll eat anything. Yeah, so then the problem solved. There you go. Done. Boom. I don't have to feed you. You eat them. You eat the migrants. You eat the illegal immigrants. They go boom. There you go. I like it. What happens if the alligators get electrified on my fence, though? I didn't think about that. You need new alligators. That's fine. I will get a lot of alligators. I'll get you an alligator. It sounds like you have the budget for it anyway. Well, I don't care what the budget is. I'll borrow the money from China if I have to. But I'm getting my alligator moats. Gonna make and I'll, I'll make Mexico pay for it. That's gonna be my campaign plan. I'm going to build alligator moats, and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. Forget a wall, all right? Okay. Uh, We got to talk to uh, Andy McCarthy coming up next. But first, I want to tell you about the wonderful people at Cherry Hill Volvo, because there is a sensational sale happening over at Cherry Hill Volvo this month. How about a beautiful S60 courtesy Volvo for less than $29,000? It's an incredible opportunity to experience luxury for less. 
There are courtesy S60s with less than 5,000 miles on them. They are selling right now for less than $29,000. There are a limited number available, so don't wait on this one. Right now, Cherry Hill Volvo is undergoing a massive renovation to their dealership in order to serve you even better. They are open, have ample inventory, and are ready to meet you today. So why not start the year off with the luxury vehicle you deserve? A Volvo from Cherry Hill Volvo. It's a great time to visit with many incredible incentives available. Again, hurry to Cherry Hill Volvo today to get a courtesy S60 Volvo for less than $29,000. These cars are made in the USA. We're talking about American jobs, and it's great because these cars are beautiful and safe. The best technology and safety features out there. You'll love driving one. And they also have an incredible selection of SUVs as well. The XC90 that Bridget drives. Just a third row with, for the for the kids. It's beautiful to get around. And uh, the XC40 that I have, which is a great SUV with tons of room, and it handles fantastic on the roads. Either way, you'll have an incredible experience at Cherry Hill Volvo. They are our studio sponsor. We broadcast live from the Cherry Hill Volvo studios, and we're incredibly proud of that fact. There's no other Volvo dealership who stands with Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. So please, go there today. Cherry Hill Volvo is where relationships matter the zioli show on your schedule from talk radio 1210 wpht in the free odyssey app i'm getting some uh, amazing tweets regarding that segment <laughs> i just did but i'll share some of those with you in just a few moments uh as we'll do another social media check-in but the top story of the day today is the border situation no question about it it is brought to you by our friend dr mike venaria venariadental.com he's my dentist he's my friend He's the master of dental implants. Go make an appointment today by going to venariadental.com, venariadental.com. Andy McCarthy is back. Always great to have him on the show. Senior fellow at National Review and former assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. The author of the book, Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andy, always appreciate your time. How are you doing? Rich, I'm doing great. Nice to be with you. Very nice to have you back on the show. Let's start with the border, shall we? What a disaster this is. Biden is screaming that he needs more power. Andy McCarthy, does Biden really need to be empowered anymore by Congress to deal with the situation? No, he has all the power he needs as well as the obligation. Um, There's a section of the Immigration and Nationality Act that's very clear. Um, I, I, I... hesitate to read because I know that stuff to people on the radio, but just very flatly, it says whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation and for as much as long as he deems necessary, suspend the entry of all entries or any class of aliens. Um, uh, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class. So, you know, and that's federal law. Federal law also says that uh, illegal aliens, when they're apprehended, are supposed to be detained uh, until the conclusion of the legal proceedings that determine whether they have a right to stay here. So, you know, there's plenty of statutory law that supports Biden um, closing the border. The other thing that's uh, always weird to me, Rich, when we have to discuss this is Biden doesn't enforce any laws that he doesn't want to enforce. We've seen this like time and time again uh, in various different contexts. So why on earth 
he he claims that you know he can't do something because the law prohibits it when you know leaving aside that the law doesn't prohibit it um that's never stopped him before with respect to anything else um so his his position is just nonsense in my mind yeah i mean he's he's repaying student loans even though the supreme court said that was unconstitutional he doesn't care he's still finding a, a way around that so uh, laws don't seem to be a problem for Joe Biden, but you, you, you've done something remarkable, uh, at nationalreview.com, Andy McCarthy, you tied Iran into the border, which is really, uh, this is an excellent piece. Borden's, uh, Biden's Iran crisis overlaps with his border crisis. And you, you point out the fact of, of the totalitarian regime in Venezuela, the operational alliance that Iran has had with this Marxist regime in Venezuela and, and Biden's role in all this and then how that equates to the border. And so tell us about that. Well, you know, among the ways that Biden is violating or not enforcing the immigration laws is he's made up this authority for someone who's so uh, persnickety about what the law is, right? He's made up this authority that he doesn't have to parole illegal aliens massively into the country and one of these programs affects a group of, I think it's five countries in uh, South and Central America. The lion's share of these paroles that he is issuing uh, go to Venezuela, but the total is 360,000 people a year. Uh, and again, Venezuela gets a goodly slice of that. And even though he's allowing people into the country from Venezuela and elsewhere, um, under this illegal program, tens of thousands of people are coming to the United States from Venezuela illegally anyway, you know, totally apart from this uh, visa scam. Um, so you have a situation where since Biden has been in office in, in uh, among the five million plus people who have gotten into the United States, if you count all the people he's captured and released, plus the gotaways, um, there are hundreds, probably in excess of 200,000 people who've gotten in from Venezuela. And given Iran's operational alliance with Venezuela uh, and the fact that we have a lot of reporting about Iranians coming over the border, I, I just think it's insane for people to think that uh, Iran would not exploit that uh, avenue for getting into the country if they needed to get operatives into the country. And every time I read about um, Biden's fear that the war in the Middle East will escalate, I have no doubt that he is worried about that. But I think what Americans ought to be particularly worried about is the very high, I would say, probability, not possibility, uh, that, Irani that Iran has operational cells or cells that they can activate uh, inside the United States in the event that uh, this, you know, careens into a conflict with Iran. It's a, it's a great point you make. And you in your piece, you also bring up Christopher Ray's testimony on how people have been coming into this country illegally and have the United States is keeping a close eye on that. I mean, we know that this is not some big conspiracy theory here. We we know that this is a real thing. Yeah, they, they've gone after people uh, from with Iranian backgrounds who, in the aftermath of 
the killing of Soleimani during the Trump administration, um, you know, it's been very widely publicized that the Iranians wanted to kill uh, American officials who were involved in that, uh, and that there was a step up in security arrangements for a number of those officials um, who were who were tied to it. This is like highly public information, but I thought it was valuable to have the FBI director marshal it for Congress because it seems to me this is a really big deal. I know that I have kind of, um, you know, I may have what are deemed to be antiquated ideas about this, but um, I prosecuted terrorism cases beginning eight years before 9-11. And one of the things we were always very concerned about is the lack of security at the border and the lack of serious enforcement of the immigration laws was a great channel for people who wanted to perform jihadist operations in the United States to get in here. Uh, it happened any number of times. And I have to say, Rich, the border was a lot more secure in the mid-1990s than it is today. I mean, that's just a, an absolute sin right there. Andrew C. McCarthy is with me, and he is the guy that put away the blind sheik in New York after the first World Trade Center bombing. So it's just uh, great to have him on the show. Switching gears here for a moment, uh, you wrote a piece. Uh, this is a kind of a, a different kind of terrorism. This is political terrorism here. You wrote Trump Twilight Zone in New York, and you go through the E. Jean Carroll defamation suit. You rightly so remind people this is about defamation, not a sexual assault claim. Um, and then you go through also this case, which is still ongoing here, this supposedly civil case, which to me, I don't know, Andy, it seems to, to spit in the face of the intent of the Sixth Amendment. I mean, the the penalty they're seeking here is, is so egregious, I think it it demands a jury trial. But um, but let's talk about what, what they're doing to the former president in the state of New York. Well, it, this has gone on now, Rich. I guess the trial is over, but the trial went for 11 weeks, and we've been waiting for, I guess, about a month uh, for the judge to render a decision. And it's important that people understand the way no, the New York so-called justice system works. The judge in this case, Arthur Engeron, is an elected progressive Democrat. The lawsuit was brought by Tish James, the elected progressive Democrat attorney general of New York State, who campaigned on the proposition that basically if you give me New York State prosecutorial power, I will use it against Trump. It's like the classic Soviet, you know, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Um, that was how, what she ran for office on. Um, she ended up whipping into a civil fraud case the investigation that the prosecutors in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office looked at for years, went up to the Supreme Court twice to get Trump's uh, access to Trump's financial records for, for that purpose. Uh, and this is the case the criminal prosecutors decided not to bring because they didn't think the evidence was strong enough to make a criminal case. There is no victim in this case. There is no one who has come forward and said, uh, you know, Trump defrauded me on a bank loan or on an insurance contract or anything of the like. Uh, we're dealing with sophisticated financial actors who do their own due diligence, regardless of, uh, you know, what a party represents his assets are. I'm not questioning uh, whether Trump inflated his assets. He may very well have inflated his assets. But in a in a financial fraud case, you expect to find fraud victims. There aren't any here, but under a monstrous New York civil law, 
They've proceeded. They've found that Trump is guilty of persistent fraud, despite the lack of victims. And they are not only trying to put him out of business. At the beginning of the trial, uh, the Attorney General James said that they wanted disgorgement payments from Trump of $250 million. And then after 11 weeks, when they didn't prove any victims, she came out at the end and she said, you know, on second thought, we want $370 million. And anybody who's watched the way this trial has unfolded uh, would be very surprised if uh, Judge Arthur Engeron doesn't do exactly what Tish James asked him to do. I mean, it's, it's insane that, that one judge has all this power. And it's insane that, that Trump does not get to face a jury of his peers, considering that this would be the end of his business, theoretically. I mean, it's such it's like in my mind. And obviously, I mean, I'm not an attorney and I understand this is New York state law. But I mean, when people think of civil cases, they think of, uh, you know, somebody, an aspirin company suing somebody else or something. They don't think of the government going after somebody under the guise of it being civil, not criminal. But then the penalty is such a loss of your of your property, which then turns into a loss of liberty, that um, you can destroy somebody. I mean, that, that that's so antithetical to the reason why we have a, a Sixth Amendment right to a jury trial. This case, I think, is so emblematic of that. Yeah, I, I think there's um, there's probably wrong on on both sides here, in the sense that the New York law does not appear to provide for a jury trial, but for just the reasons you're outlining, Rich, um, constitutionally speaking, when you have a penalty of that nature that's on the table, that's treated like a criminal case and you're entitled to a jury trial. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say the fault lies with, you know, Trump's legal team for not pressing hard enough to get a jury trial. Did they just assume that they weren't entitled to one? Is it that the statute is written so poorly? But one way or the other, this ought to be a jury trial. And it ought to frighten people. This is like, you know, everybody needs to get over their um, their Trump obsessions for this purpose, because if they could do this in New York to their number one political enemy now, they could do it to anyone. And Trump has a lot more resources to fight them back than the average person does. But who on earth would do business in New York under these circumstances where they can put you out of business and take millions of dollars away from you? Under, in a fraud case where they can't show that there were fraud victims. It's amazing. Well, so well put, my friend. Well put. Andrew C. McCarthy, National Review, as usual, great stuff. We'll post links to it. And uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Rich. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Uh, let's see, a number of other things. But I did want to share some tweets. Let's do a quick social media check-in, courtesy of our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Signs of autumn signs, says Rich, regarding the border issue. (laughs) Throw prisoners in a moat. Make sand traps along the border. You fall down the hole, tunnel back to Mexico, but some sand holes may have a gator pen at the end of the tunnel. It's a take a chance kind of a game. Not bad. Johnny Cook says gators are mostly docile. Crocodiles are the meanest SOBs on earth. Water buffaloes and hippos kill even more humans. As you can see, I've put a lot of thought into this. I would go for water buffaloes over alligators. And I'll tell you why, because I could also get buffalo mozzarella. And buffalo mozzarella is the greatest cheese for my pizza in my pizza oven. And it's very hard to find at a decent price. So in addition to being used as a deterrent, for illegal immigration, 
I could also get some good buffalo mozzarella. So thank you, Johnny, for that. Um, Sean says... <laughs> is that, That's not... What? Isn't it buffalo? Like, I'm not... Right, it's not buffalo mozzarella, is it? It's a yeah, it's a what do you mean? It's not a, I don't, it's a it's, buffalo. I don't It's a water buffalo. Am I wrong? It's is it not called buffalo mozzarella? Yeah, it's it's buffalo mozzarella, yeah. Is it? What, what what are you asking here? I don't understand. I didn't think it was like buff I didn't think it was spelled that way. It's it's, it's literally a cheese made from a domestic water buffalo. I don't I, why are we even having this conversation? <laughs> I don't know. Right maybe now? maybe I switched it, timelines it, or something. It's an right? Italian Mediterranean buffalo. But what is the point of jumping in here to bring up so you don't even know like why not just google it instead of jumping in to ask I don't know. I thought I'd make good radio. <laughs> why why would I look your, it up? Your lack of knowledge of of cheese? mozzarella di buffalo? <laughs> yeah. You just thought it was called buffalo because it was a really big ball of cheese? Is that why? No, I I didn't think it was called buffalo. <laughs> I mean, it's not the correct Italian pronunciation, that's but... That's what I'm saying. So I didn't think right, it was Right, but in from... America, we call them buffaloes, so that's why I said a buffalo. Okay, you know I, mean? I didn't think the spelling was the same way either. I thought well, it was no, like because a... it's a different language. You see, they speak Italian over there, and here <laughs> in America, we speak English. So it's actually even spelled differently, too. They spell it B-U-F-A-L-A. Yeah. We spell it B-U-F-F-A-L-O. How did this turn into a Rosetta Stone segment? I have no idea. (laughs) You have any other questions, Henry? (laughs) This is why I worry about you being off the grid completely, okay? Because I feel like you won't even be able to Google stuff like this. In fairness, he is right. It did make for a good segment. I think it's hilarious. I think it's the worst segment we've ever done. (laughs) It's so bad. I don't think it should be in the podcast. I mean, I, I cut the podcast. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll take this out. No, you leave this in. Uh, Sean Lucas says, how about making the border a revenue generator? Taxpayers can pay 20 bucks for five darts to shoot. It could turn into like the Jersey boardwalk. Really? You could pay to see the water buffalo. You could pay to shoot water guns at the, uh, the migrants, right? And then pay to see people jump off the electric fence. <laughs> it's hilarious. Eric the Red says, how about paintball guns to secure the border? Then we know the stupid people are trying a second time. I think you can wash the paintball off, though. That's the thing. You know what I mean? I think so, anyway. Uh, no, it's not bison cheese. Now, you see what you've done, Henry? You've created an uh, alternate see, timeline. See? Maybe I'm not wrong. It's a cheese made... From the milk of domestic water buffalo. It is the best cheese. It is used in Rome and Campania and Puglia, and it's wonderful. And it's true. True pizza, according to the Napolitan standards, has to have, the cheese has to be buffalo mozzarella. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the mozzarella. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't know. I didn't think it came from a buffalo. I don't know. I just thought I just thought that's what it was called. You thought they were fat shaming the cheese, like like <laughs> buffalo, buffalo, like buffalo wings aren't from, you know cut from a buffalo. <laughs> what? Fair. That, that's a good point. It's a. It's a <laughs> no, it's not. Don't entertain that. It's an excellent point. When Henry sees buffalo wild wings and he sees the big buffalo with the wings, he's like, "That's not real. <laughs> that's, that's not real. There's no way that thing's real." I'm calling BS on this commercial. <laughs> You are correct in that buffalo wings are named after the city they were apparently formed, uh, you know, first created in, and not from buffalo. Yeah, maybe maybe that wasn't a good example, but <laughs> right. I'll think of something. I'll think of one. Yeah, I don't think buffalo mozzarella came from Buffalo, New York. No, I could be wrong. I think it came from Naples, 
Italy because somebody had the temerity to, you know, milk a buffalo. Who that person first was, I don't know. But he said, I'm really going to regret this. You know what I mean? Little Giuseppe milking a big buffalo, turning into cheese. God bless him. Probably did it on a dare. Probably was. Most great things in life do happen on a dare, right? Am I am I right? Fantastic. Uh, all right, 855-839-1210. Coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, the fourth and final hour, a lot to get to, including um, what is going to happen with Iran? What will Biden do? And the Taylor Swift, Jason Kelsey psyop that is not a real thing, by the way. We don't really, people think that. It's We're making fun of the media when we say that stuff, but I'll tell you about that. Plus, Corey Bush... The defund the police squad lunatic. She is under investigation by the Biden Department of Justice. Tell you all about that as well. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. And on the free Odyssey app. WPHT. WPHT. HD. WOGL. HD3. Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Are we being set up? Are we being set up? I don't mean by Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I mean by Justice Sonia Sotomayor. What are they up to? Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli, our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. So the other day I was having a conversation with some friends about what, do, what does Biden do? I mean, he's at a 65% disapproval rating. He's a disaster and he can't speak anymore. You know, that clip I played earlier in the show, Biden talking about how Trump would bring us to war with Iran. Biden sounded very coherent. I mean, he's wrong, but he was coherent. I'll play it again for you. Just to get a reference to what I'm talking about. And then Matt DeSantis, just find me a random clip of Biden recently rambling and babbling, and we'll do a comparison. But this is what Biden said in 2020. And listen, I mean, he's, look, he's wrong, duh, but he sounds like a guy who at least has his brain intact. Cut five. The world has changed because what Trump has done and the American people, including independents and some Republicans, know how bad he is, know how much he's misrepresented, know how he's getting close to getting us in a war. I said, as the walls close in on this man, I'm worried he's going to get us to war in Iran. Unfortunately, I may have been right. The fact of the matter is there's a lot at stake in this election. Okay, now he's wrong, obviously, but it kind of sounds lucid. Now, let's hear just a random Joe Biden rambling bit from over the weekend or whenever the last time he spoke that wasn't being drowned out by helicopters on the White House lawn. Because, again, they won't let the president speak to the American people. He's not speaking to the American people in the middle of all this with Iran. The president's not saying anything. He's not coming to the podium. He's not taking questions. He's not giving an Oval Office address. He can barely read off a teleprompter right now. And he certainly cannot handle complicated questions. He's got to be handled. He's got to be managed. He's got to be moved along. He's at 65% disapproval rating right now. And he's losing in all of the six or seven key states that you need to win the presidency. This is from over the weekend. Donald Trump, 
when he was commander in chief, refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk he's about a, my son? He, he's an angry, he's like a crazy, angry old man yelling about a story that's not even true, by the way. All right. Now, if you want to get rid of Biden, though, if you need to get him off the ticket, what do you do? So I had a conversation with my buddies the other day. We were watching football and smoking cigars. And one of the ideas that came up was, well, make Kamala Harris a Supreme Court justice. Because that's really your problem. That, that's your, she's your roadblock right there. She's the first black woman vice president. If you just dump her off the ticket, woke is going to be very upset. Biden already has a major problem with black voters as it is. So if you just dump her off the ticket, what are you going to do? But you know she's an idiot. She's even less popular than he is. So you can't have her be the nominee. You'd love to swap out Biden with Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom's everywhere. Guys everywhere. There must be six or seven of him now. He's on TV all weekend, looking all polished, his hair. He's trying to come off as some sort of moderate now. He's just waiting to get the call up from the big leagues. Oh, he's just waiting. He was on TV over the weekend. I was watching this. You know, the California governor who was elevated by a certain afternoon drive host on this station till I came back to afternoons and righted the ship again by having a debate and being on Fox News and everything else. And this is, this is Gavin Newsom over the weekend. Just tell me he's not chomping at the bit here to get the call from the bullpen to jump into this race. Cut 15. But let me ask you about Trump's legal problems. Obviously, four indictments, 91 counts, includes you know, taking classified documents out of the White House, undermining democracy, all of that. Um, and, he's out there, and he's out there saying he should have absolute immunity, a president should uh, be laughable, above the law, laughable. all this. So why, in light of all of that, why have we seen poll after poll, and I know it's early, but still, poll after poll that shows Trump either beating Biden yeah. or essentially tied with him? Yeah, but you also seen poll after poll. I, I'm not naive about this. I, I take the threat of Trump and Trumpism very seriously. Yeah. I, I've never been on the other side of that argument. That said, this is the weakest candidate to run a major party in my lifetime. He's coming in deeply damaged. Democrats, we win. We keep winning. We've won all of these elections. Post Dobbs, different world. But hold on. But here's my question even more relevant. But look at the polling. Look underneath the hood on the polling. Look at the New Hampshire polls. Look at some of the national polls. Republicans say if he's convicted, all those things you said are true, and he's convicted. And the likelihood of conviction is what, 98% on election counts? We'll see. By election day? We'll see. But I mean, at least in one of those four, right, of the 91 charges, one of those four. Vast majority, I mean, a, a substantial plurality of Republicans now, or at least a large percentage, uh, say no, no go. I think that's a huge red flag for Donald Trump. He is weak. He is more unhinged than he's ever been. He's less disciplined than he's ever been. He's less they, interesting. I find him just less interesting. It's not even as entertaining as he was in 2020. Pick me, pick me, pick me. It's like the Golden Bachelor. There's Gavin Newsom holding the rose, just hoping that he'll get picked. Pick me and I'll run. I can take him on. That's what he was doing right there. That's his audition. And he's been auditioning for a while. But you have a problem. You've got Kamala Harris standing in the way. So then what if you made her a Supreme Court justice? And then a couple days later, Justice Sonia Sotomayor comes out now and makes comments about living in frustration. 
She apparently hates her job. She doesn't. She says, I live in frustration on the Supreme Court. She was speaking to University of California Berkeley law students. And she revealed that she lives in frustration among the court's conservative majority, but has to get up the next morning and keep on fighting. She was commenting on this Monday at the University of California Berkeley School of Law. She said, I live in frustration. Every loss truly traumatizes me in my stomach and in my heart. But I have to get up the next morning and keep on fighting. And to be almost 70 years old, this isn't what I expected. But it is still work that is all consuming. And I understand the impact the court has on people and on the country and sometimes the world. And so it is what keeps me going. She says the cases have become bigger and more demanding in recent years. You know, the number of cases are greater, and you know that our emergency calendar is so much more active. I'm tired, the justice said. There used to be a time when we had a good chunk of the summer break, not anymore. The emergency calendar is busy almost on a weekly basis. At one point during the event, Sotomayor roamed among students in the audience. Change never happens on its own. Change happens because people care about moving the arc of the universe toward justice. What choice do you have but to fight the good fight? Now, the question, of course, then is, what is she doing there if she's so unhappy? So there's a story I saw today. This guy, Josh Barrow, who's a journalist, told CNN he's surprised that Justice Sotomayor isn't retired. And she should consider whether it's time for her to step down. He's a journalist and a podcast host. He said, maybe she should get off the bench. They had a discussion on CNN this morning. Don't worry. You didn't see it. I didn't see it. Nobody watched it. But the story came to Fox News. That's the only way I saw it. And they talked about her recent comments about living in frustration. Co-host of the show, Phil Mattingly, (coughs) asked Barrow about the intent behind her statement. He said, quote, I'm not sure there is a strategic intent behind it. I mean... It seems like a description of what her day is like. I find it a little bit surprising, given what Justice Sotomayor describes there about the stakes of what is happening before the Supreme Court, that she's not retired. She's 69 years old. She's been on the court for 15 years. It's quite possible the Democrats will lose control of the Senate in the next election. And who knows how long it could be before there's a next opportunity for a Democrat president to make a new appointment. Justice Scalia uh, stuck through through the 2006 election, did not make it to 2017, which would have been the next opportunity. He added that now would be the right time for Justice Sonia Sotomayor to step down. If she was truly concerned about the makeup of the court, it seems like that it would be the right time strategically for her to step down in favor of somebody younger if she's very concerned about the political balance of the court. CNN host Poppy Harlow seemed shocked by the suggestion and hesitantly responded, interesting point, not one I've heard a lot about. Is that a thing? The other CNN host asked. I just haven't heard the chatter about it. Poppy Harlow said it was now going to be a thing because now CNN brought it up during their media appearance. I think it's strange there hasn't been chatter about it. I mean, we've already been through this with Justice Ginsburg. Harlow pushed back on the journalist, and noted that Justice Ginsburg was a lot older and had health issues. Justice Sotomayor has diabetes, he responded. A decade is a long time. I'm not saying I think Justice Sotomayor is on death's door by any means, but I think it's important. 
given it's a lifetime appointment, they take a very long time horizon view on this. Democrats are at a structural disadvantage in the U.S. Senate. I would not assume that, you know, within the next four or six years, we'll have another occasion where there's a Democrat president, Democrat Senate again. Now, I'm one of those people that, as you know, does not believe in coincidences in life. I find it all to be everything that happens is seems to be in politics anyway, deliberate. So let's play this out for a second, shall we? RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG, as much as she was a hero to the left and they wrote books about her, they were very angry. She stayed around and that Donald J. Trump was able to appoint her successor. They were very angry. RBG, you allowed Roe versus Wade to be overturned, they say. By you sticking around, you bag of bones and then dying on the Supreme Court, you did this because you did not give the Democrat president the opportunity to appoint your successor. I just find it very telling right now that we're hearing all this. Now, think about it now. Kamala Harris would be an excellent choice from a Democrat perspective. <laughs> Certainly not from mine. But she was the attorney general of the state of California. She was a U.S. senator. senators tend to um, have their senatorial courtesy with each other, of course. And if this was done, then you solve the Kamala Harris problem. You get to put a Democrat on the court. She's young. She can be there babbling and saying incoherent things about the significance of time. She could be very significant in the significant of the passage of time for decades to come. And then you get to get rid of Joe Biden. Something happens to him, whatever, and then you do replace him with white dude Gavin Newsom. But this time around, you don't have to worry about the left freaking out because you just kicked aside the first black woman VP. You made her a Supreme Court justice. I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to happen. How could I? I'm not in the room with these people. How could I ever make such a prediction? I'm just pointing it out to you that I find this all to be very timing, very, 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 very suspicious with the timing. Sotomayor is desperate. She's old. She doesn't want to be there anymore. She doesn't like her job. And now the Democrats are panicking, thinking Trump's going to win because Biden cannot beat him. He can't. Biden is going to lose. I, I can't say this enough. Biden is going to lose. It doesn't matter if Trump gets convicted. It doesn't matter if Trump is sitting in a Georgia jail, which, by the way, is not going to happen. That case is blowing up because of the district attorney and her conflict of interest with her boyfriend. So that case is done. But it doesn't matter. Trump's going to beat Biden. Every single poll, from except for one, that was an outlier in Pennsylvania, has Trump winning. In the states that matter. Forget national polls. Forget all that nonsense. Look at the states that matter, and Trump has a lead. And that lead is more significant now than it was at any other point. So it's actually, if you look at the real clear politics average of polling, or if you look at Nate Silver's 538, the lead that Trump has right now in those states is actually growing. It's not, it's not one of those things where it, it, was, it was up and then just kind of peaked. No, no, it keeps going up. So you got a problem. Your Democrats have a problem right now. How popular is Joe Biden? Only 39% approve of the job he's doing. And Donald Trump is going to be the nomination. He has an, a, a, he's up right now, compared to Nikki Haley, 
72% versus Haley at, what is she at, 30% maybe? When you look at the average of the polls that are out there? So then you, 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 take, a, you take a look at all this and you think to yourself, how does this turn around exactly for, for, for Joe Biden? I mean, how does this, how does, what, and it doesn't. The border's a disaster. We've got this problem now, this situation in Iran, which is escalating. We have uh, an economy that is stagnant, that is not getting better, despite what they say, despite all their lies about how great the economy is, it's not getting better. So I've, I've been telling you, I do not believe that Joe Biden will be the candidate. Now, it's very possible that there's just simply no way to get the old codger out. Very possible. But again, you know, if you can find a way to get him out of the race, they'll take it in a heartbeat. The Democrat Party will take it in a heartbeat. They don't want him there. They don't want her there. So this may be their answer. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, when guys like this journalist go on CNN and start putting this into the ether, it's not an accident. You know, I don't think Taylor Swift and Jason Kel- Travis Kelsey are, are, are a CIA psyop. Uh, I do think that this is one of those situations, however, when if they're talking about it on CNN, they're trying to get it out there into the into the commonplace talk where, yeah, you know what? We don't want to have another RBG situation on our hands here, right? Trump gets in, something happens to Sotomayor, she's got diabetes, she's seven year, 70 years old, and then, you know... Now we're stuck with another conservative justice. And then you solve your Kamala Harris problem. You get another lefty kook justice on the Supreme Court for the rest of her life. And you can get rid of Biden. And you can save their, their failing presidential bid. Again, I can't say it's going to happen. I can't make that prediction. I'm not anywhere near these people to make those predictions. I'm just saying that I find all this to be incredibly suspicious. You know, we, we, we talk about the Michelle Obama conspiracy theory that, that they're going to replace Michelle Obama at the convention. And I've told you, I rule nothing out in politics anymore. I rule nothing out. Nothing. But I know one thing. Joe Biden loses to Donald Trump. That's what I know. And they are terrified of the fact that Donald Trump is going to come in be a lame duck president, not have to worry about reelection because despite what everybody tells you, he's not going to be a dictator and not leave the White House and all the other things. Our system does not allow that. It's not going to happen. His term will end in 2029. And in January of 2029, he will leave the White House just like he left in January of 2021. And there'll be a new president coming in. And, but maybe at that point, it's Trump's vice president. Or maybe it's Ron DeSantis. Who knows? That's the other thing they don't want to risk. They don't want to risk Trump is in there for four years and then you get another Republican in there for four years, maybe eight years. Maybe you have now 12 years of the Republicans now appointing Supreme Court justices. So you got a very unhappy Supreme Court justice going out there whining about her job and how much she absolutely hates it. And then you have people coming out and turning around and saying, you know, not for nothing. Maybe this is the time you should go. So, like I say, maybe it's all just a giant coincidence. The big story of the day today brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. Don't forget, he's my dentist. 
He's my friend. Mama Zioli discovered him, and he will give you the smile of your dreams. VenariaDental.com. We're coming right back. The Zioli Show, on your schedule. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. This time tomorrow, I'll be filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. So we'll take his first hour of his show live. So I'll be with you from 3 until 9 tomorrow. I got on the air today at noon. I filled in for Dana Lash. You'll get to hear that show at 9 p.m. tonight. Um, Don't worry. Different things. Don't just repeat myself for seven hours. Can't do that. But tomorrow, 3 p.m. until 9 p.m. All right? So it's always great when Mark asks me to fill in. Thursday will be a Parks Casino for Comedy Night, so come out to see that. Don't forget, get your tickets. 20 bucks get you your drink and a great comedy show. And our big speakers, just go to parkscasino.com slash comedy for that ticket. It always sells out, so get your tickets Thursday night. And then our big event with Terry Hayes is coming up. Thursday, February, uh, February, I'm sorry, Wednesday, February 7th, excuse me, which is at Main Point Books in Wayne, PA. His book, The Year of the Locust, mind blown. You're definitely going to want to um, come out for that. Just go to 1210WPHG.com to get your tickets for that. Uh, there's a bunch of, <laughs> excuse me, there's a bunch of other things I've been meaning to get to today, but... I, I would be remiss, we've, we've gone through a lot of things, but I would be remiss if I did not, and I don't have an answer to this question, I'm just going to point out the headline for you, and that's all, not going to answer it. This is from an actual place on the internet called theconversation.com, why are so many robots white? All right, why are so many wo- robots white? I don't have an answer, I didn't want to read the article, my brain hurt too much, I don't care, but... I just wanted you to know that that is now one of the things that woke is upset about that robots all tend to be white. All right. Good. Uh, In New York City, there's some breaking news. Um, The New York City Council just overrode the mayor's bill. It was a veto. Excuse me. Mayor's veto of a bill requiring cops to document the race of people they interact with. So the New York City Council voted to override Mayor Eric Adams veto of a bill that will force police officers to document most interactions they have with the public. The bill would require officers, will require officers to record details on the apparent race, gender, and age of people they stop, including when they are only asking for information from someone who may be a witness to a crime. Officers would also have to note the reason for the interaction. Well, advocates claim the, quote, how many stops act, close quote, will hold police accountable for unlawful stops and prevent racial profiling. Eric Adams, who is a former police captain and other critics say the bill threatens to swamp police officers with paperwork and is a threat to public safety. The mayor said today, if you talk to the victim of a crime or law enforcement professional, they will tell you in public safety seconds matter. Anyone who has wrestled with a dangerous person and waited for help to come, anyone who's tried to disarm someone with a knife, disarm someone with a gun, fighting on a platform, on the roadbed of the train or inside an apartment and wrestling with someone who is dangerous, seconds matter. But the mayor failed to win over the two council members he needed to help him thwart the council's override of his veto, with the council voting to pass the bill 42 to 9 on Tuesday. Today's override is one more step toward the city council goal, destroy the world's best police department. 
That was said by the NYPD Detectives Endowment Association President Paul DiGiacomo. Thanks to the politicians, the divide between the police and citizens will grow. And so will retirement for our best, most experienced detectives. Heartbreaking. Now, this is a good time to bring up Cori Bush, because Representative Cori Bush is a horrible person. She's a member of the squad. She's now under investigation for using public funds to enrich her husband as one of her bodyguards. It's important to note that these people are the biggest hypocrites on earth. So they scream about defunding the police. They do this all the time. The very same time, they surround themselves with bodyguards and they also want to disarm you. But they believe they're better than you and they're better than you because they're members of Congress. So here's a little clip of Representative Cori Bush from a couple of years ago as she screamed about why she is entitled to her security and you're not entitled to the security that the police would provide you potentially if there's a crime. Take a listen. Sure, I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety. There you go. So guns for me, not for thee. Armed bodyguards for me, but not for thee. This is a classic case of that. Well, now she's under investigation for this because she used the money to pay her husband, who was one of her bodyguards. And there's a lot of questions about how she's been using this money. So she's under investigation by the Department of Justice. One of her bodyguards, she has apparently a whole team of them. One of her bodyguards, this guy, can summon tornadoes at will cause earthquakes with his hate, and conduct blood rituals to bring ruin upon his enemies. He is an intergalactic master of psychic self-defense born 109 trillion years ago. Those are the qualifications that led him to become Cori Bush's highest paid private security guard with your money. Now, I have some friends who are 109 trillion years old. They would make for terrible bodyguards because they are too old. But if you can bring about a good blood ritual to bring ruin to my enemies, I'm giving you the job. However, this guy's really, really nuts. He is a spiritual guru who teaches classes on how to read minds, summon mythical beings, and maintain urban gardens to avoid having to buy food from the Jews. So in addition to being a vile person, Representative Cory Bush is also paying someone who is a very outspoken anti-Semite. In addition to that, we have audio of this lunatic, and this is not this is not a joke. This is not made up. This is real stuff. Matt DeSantis, the executive producer of the show, found this audio, but had spent some time editing it. Am I right, Matt? Uh, He's pretty anti-Semitic. Yeah. Um, So I I removed all of that. This is just him sounding ridiculous for other reasons. But the anti-Semitism is is gone. There is a lot of ramblings that he's posted on onto YouTube. And let, let's make sure we understand his real name now. He's um, I, I guess his his name is is Aha Sen Pianki. He teaches classes on how to read minds. He's a he's a St. Louis, Missouri based spiritual guru. <laughs> I think his actual name is uh, Nathaniel Davis. 
That's the actual name. Yeah, and apparently he has received almost $150,000 from Corey Bush in, um, in security fees. And let's take a listen to some of this lunacy, shall we? Enjoy. I'm a teacher. I'm going to give you brand new knowledge as much as I can. I'm going to teach you how to grow food. And if you want to learn something from the mystery schools, I'll teach you out the mystery schools. I love Sufism. I love Essenism. I love Gnostic schools, the Gnostic texts. Love them. I love voodoo. Love it. Love it. I love Paolo Mayombe. Love it. So I stick to the mystical side of everything. You know that walk on water? That deal, that hill of man. I don't know how to walk on water yet, but that is the science. It's called the science of levitation. <laughs> it's a simple science, too. I was put on this planet to break the spell. One of the people put on this planet to break the spell. Not more. I'm not peaceful at all. You mess with me, I'm messing with you. I'm doing you 10 times worse than what you did me. I might go get me a goat or something, go get me a ram or something, put some blood on the altar and your whole family up. You can care less. You're a Christian, I'm going to take you to the book of Psalms. I'll show you how to knock a person, make all their teeth fall off their mouth. The book of Lukeman is the most powerful book of magic in the Quran. The book of wisdom. That's why it's the book of wisdom. I got a sewer in there that make tornadoes. Flat out. That's how I learned how to make tornadoes. See, that's what Sufism is all about. Stop it one second. You're telling me you would not want this guy on your team to make a tornado? <laughs> Get out of traffic? I'm about to drive home. I'm looking at Waze right now, and I'm thinking to myself, damn it. I could go for a good tornado right now. <laughs> well, you can do some other things if you want to keep listening. Oh, yes, please. In a book, of, I'm going to take you in the book of Proverbs and show you how to make lightning t- Lightning? what you want it to touch and burn some down. You can make lightning as well. I would use lightning to strike down some of my enemies. Hell yeah, I would. In a heartbeat. I like that in the beginning of this clip, he's modest. And he says that he hasn't quite learned how to walk on water yet. Not yet. But he knows how to make tornadoes and can strike you with lightning. And earthquakes. Don't forget that too. And, and again, driving home tonight, an earthquake would be incredibly helpful to me. <laughs> because I can get around it. Since I'll create it. And then get around it. And what about the blood rituals to, to F up his enemies and your enemies and my enemies? I was mixed in with the anti-Semitic stuff, so I had to talk. You had to take that yeah. out? What a shame. So now she's being investigated because of hiring these lunatics. And she is absolutely one of the worst. The Justice Department is investigating her over the alleged misuse of government funds intended to pay for her security. And uh, the congresswoman blamed right-wing organizations for the DOJ probe, even though it's Biden's Justice Department, of course. She says, I have not used any person federal tax dollars for personal security services. Any reporting that I have used federal funds for personal security is simply false, she said. But the Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust reacted to news of the Justice Department's probe and defended, having filed an official complaint with the FEC. So it turns out now that this whack job who hired that whack job will now have to answer for the fact that the taxpayers had to pay for that whack job hired by the other whack job. This is the state of Washington today. Man, I'll tell you what. Make lightning strike down. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, if he can actually do it, then it's probably well worth the $150,000, right? Well, no, I disagree because, look, he's 109 trillion years old. If I... (laughs) I saw the movie The Bodyguard. Kevin Costner had to carry Whitney Houston out. You got a 109-trillion-year-old. He might break a bone or a hip or something. You know what I mean? That's true. So 
if you're 109 trillion years old, like this guy claims, and he's got to kick a dude like Coster did in the movie The Bodyguard, he could break that whole leg. So, no, I disagree. I'm not hiring him for that reason. I'll put him on my staff because that's a lot of power he brings to the table. But, no, I'm not, I don't want him by my bodyguard. <laughs> you're 109 trillion years old. What do you get somebody when they turn 109 trillion? Do you know? I, uh, I have no idea. Does Miss Manners have anything on that or etiquette? <laughs> I'll just go with bourbon. Uh, speak, <laughs> speaking of the insanity of Washington right now, uh, this this other squad member, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play it at the moment, but because my head hurts. But Alexandria Ocasio Cortez came out and said Trump has extraordinary vulnerabilities. We saw that in New Hampshire. He won New Hampshire. He's on track right now to beat Nikki Haley two to one in her home state of South Carolina. Two to one. So when I when I when I tell you right now that they are freaking out over the fact that he's going to beat Joe Biden, don't don't doubt me here because I know what I'm talking about. And there's nothing, and I mean nothing, that I would put past these people in terms of making sure that Trump does not get in the White House for a second term. Nothing. But before I go to break, here's Joy Reid. Last night on MSNBC, dropping an F-bomb on a hot mic moment. So here's what happened. She was doing a segment on The Readout. Again, you didn't see this. I didn't see this. She's the most vile, racist person in America. But she was doing this, and she thought that the audio was just going to be, the audio you'd hear would be just the audio of the segment. However, her microphone was still hot, as we say in the business. It was a hot mic. And she dropped an F-bomb, and I guess there was no way to, to censor it or delay it or anything, because maybe it was on pre-delay or something. I don't know how that works. You guys know how that works, but... They should have been on some sort of delay. I guess they missed it. I, I don't know. But this is what happened last night. Take a listen. Case in point. Fixing what they say is a crisis at the border. With congressional negotiators continuing work on a bipartisan deal to tie border policy changes to funding for Ukraine... Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another war. (laughs) Still trying to kill the deal. So then she went back and started talking, pretending like it didn't happen. But what she said was Biden starting another effing war. There you go. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Coming up, the question, of course, is Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey a psyop? No, but are they the most annoying couple in America? The answer to that, of course, is yes. And E. Jean Carroll tells Rachel Maddow what she's going to do with the money from the defamation lawsuit in a very, very awkward moment on MSNBC. Do not go away. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. Uh, There's some breaking news. You know, Biden's Justice Department is the most weaponized Department of Justice in the country. And it's just awful what they do. And um, there were six pro-life activists who were being charged in federal court for violating what's known as the FACE Act. It's the Abortion Clinic Access Act. They protested outside a Nashville abortion clinic. What they did was they 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 prayed and they sang gospel hymns. For that crime, they were arrested and they faced a maximum of 11 years in prison, 11 years in prison. They were just found guilty in federal court today. As Michael Seifert put it on Twitter, you can burn Minneapolis to the ground. 
You can harass Justice Thomas outside his house. You can try to tear down the fence outside the White House. But don't you dare pray outside an abortion clinic. And, you know, Greg Price pointed to a to a, a link of a video of one of the six activists being arrested. I mean, we know what our own friend Mark Houck went through here in Pennsylvania. Thank God he was found not guilty. But these guys, these people were found guilty. So now they're facing 11 years in federal prison. They sent one of the men, this guy was uh, Paul Vaughn. He was just, again, he, it, it was a peaceful protest. He was praying and singing outside an abortion clinic. The FBI came to his house. And as you can imagine, these guys look like they're playing some sort of war game cosplay with their, with their vests on, they're heavily armed, uh, carrying around these military-style weapons. I mean, it, it just it does not look like the United States of America. They're in big SUVs. There's there's no lettering on them. All they have is just these big vests that say FBI on them. Walking around with these huge, huge long guns. I don't know exactly what kind they are, but they're very scary looking. And they won't tell the woman anything. They just came in. They arrested her husband. They won't. They, they showed no warrant. There was I mean, you would think this guy was. Uh, um, uh, like a terrorist or something like that. But but to Biden's Department of Justice, he is. He's a domestic violent extremist. So they show all these pictures of these FBI agents walking around with these huge guns, heavily armed, sidearms and everything to arrest this guy at his house. My question is, why not just call the guy and tell him you got to come in and surrender yourself? Turn yourself in because we have an arrest warrant for you. Why not show up with a couple guys in suits and knock on the door with a, with a warrant here? And if you need to call backup, you need to call backup. I understand the point about, well, if you're taking somebody into custody, you never know what's going to happen. But, I mean, this looks like a, like a military-style invasion of the guy's house. So if you're worried about that, call him up first and say, turn yourself in. If he doesn't turn himself in, well, then, then, then maybe you, you, you coordinate with the local authorities and you go to his house. But, again, this is the point of what the Justice Department is doing. They want to intimidate people. They want to scare people. The, the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the United States Department of Justice that's what they want to do. They want you to be afraid. They want you to be scared. This is what a weaponized government does. This is what a weaponized government does. There's a woman, her name is Kristen Clark. She's the head of the DOJ Civil Rights Division. And she is weaponizing her office to target peaceful pro-life activists. Remember, I told you that the supply of domestic violent extremists does not meet the demand this administration has for them. So they have to make it up. And whether it's a mom at a school board meeting or a pro-lifer praying in an abortion clinic, they will target you. This is another reason why I'm so opposed to any social media registries, even if it means that my kids have to be on social media because otherwise we don't have to be verified. I don't care. People need to be able to be online anonymously. This government is way too weaponized. This government targets people. I told you earlier, the NSA and the FBI, they, they have now gone and bought all of your Internet data history this woman Kristen clark is awful she's the assistant attorney general for civil rights at the department of justice a vocal abortion proponent who has repeatedly expressed her support for preserving roe v wade she also oversees investigations into violations of the freedom of access to clinic entrances act this is from the daily signal she has used this to charge 26 pro-life individuals this year It appears she's violating her oath of office and she's violating her duty, which is to fairly administer the law regardless of political views. 
said John Daukus, former acting attorney general for civil rights in the Trump administration. She appears only to be prosecuting groups that she doesn't like, doesn't agree with. Few would expect such a high-ranking DOJ official to retain the slew of political hot takes and public condemnations that litter Clark's social media from before she assumed her current role. She has called Alliance Defending Freedom, excuse me, a hate group. She called Liberty University a fundamentalist Christian school. She said that those protesting Dr. Anthony Fauci should be publicly identified and named, barred from treatment at any public hospital when they fall ill, and denied coverage under their insurance. She has hurled insults at Republican politicians from Lisa Murkowski to Donald Trump, supported the allegations of Christine Blasey Ford, who has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate that Amy Coney Barrett was unfit to serve as a justice because she would likely rule to overturn Roe v. Wade. She has frequently uh, critiqued pro-life laws and courts that upheld them, branding a law protecting Down syndrome babies as draconian. Significantly, in light of the scores of recent attacks on pro-life centers following the Roe v. Wade leak, Clark called pro-life pregnancy care centers predatory and fake clinics claiming they are part of a coordinated strategy to tear down Roe. I'll have more on this for you tomorrow, but it's just an awful shame what happened to these six pro-lifers, but not surprising at all this administration. Have a great rest of your night tonight. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Don't forget filling in for Mark Levin tomorrow as well. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thank you. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app.